there was Donkey and Diddy Kong, then Diddy and Dixie, Dixie and Kitty, Mario and Yoshi. Okay, okay, you get the point. So what's the big deal? Okay, um, hello, uh, hello, Slush. Uh, hello, everyone. Welcome to uh, um, DKJV Radio Live for, um, I guess it's June of 2001. Uh, we we are going to be covering, of course, E3 2001. I am, as always, um, our friend, and we've we've got some pretty big news. Um, uh, Donkey Kong Racing was revealed. Donkey Kong Coconut Crackers. Um, uh, has Grunchy's Revenge been revealed yet? I'm not sure. Diddy Kong Pilot is rumored. Um, but, but I'm really, really mad about Star Fox Adventure, so let's mostly focus on that. Hold on, you can't just do this, this, this bit, this, this false pretense, and then not remember the historical details. Was Grunty's <laughs> Revenge already revealed yet? Yes! Yes, it was, actually. That was, that was the E3. It was revealed. Um, okay, I thought so. <laughs> Listen, I did this a very spur of the moment this time. Last time, last time I did that bit, I like, like I had a whole little script for myself, and I this time it was just kind of flying by the seat of my pants. Yeah, I go to the bathroom, and I'm, I'm just sorry like, of my coconut yeah. crackers. <laughs> I, I have to run to the bathroom. Like Josh, can you just handle the beginning of the episode? I'll be right back. And this is what you turned my show into. Hello, and welcome to the conversation. I'm Heil Russell. I'm Josh Wallen. <laughs> Oh my God, Josh! Uh, you know, you you were just on the show like uh, a little over a month ago. But how's your summer been going? Oh, it's hot and busy, and that's about it. <laughs> yeah, I have, to, is... I have to say, if I'm ranking my summers, this is this is bottom tier. I I have to I have to admit, like not having a great summer. I mean, I'm having a productive summer, but you know, it's it's. I'm I'm not a summertime kind of person. I'm, okay. <laughs> I like I like the spring and the fall and the winter <laughs> and uh, summer. I just I, I tend to want to stay indoors. I like summer in principle, and part of the appeal to me for summer comes actually into the topic we are discussing on this episode. I have a lot of childhood nostalgia for summer that is carried forward into my adulthood years even though you know i I don't get summers off anymore and um (laughs) really i don't like being hot either but (laughs) I, i i still have a lot of goodwill towards the summer i like the notion of summer more than summer in execution if if you understand what i'm saying but if I'm ranking my summers, not having a really fun summer and a lot of my low energy, my sort of depressive vibes that I'm uh, dealing with right now will actually be brought up in this episode as well, because <laughs> it's it's a weird time to kind of be a Donkey Kong journalist and to sort of be the unofficial uh, captain of of the fandom <laughs> team for for this captain of the good ship Donkey Kong. Yeah, f- for this particular niche subculture we've got going on here, it's a really just awkward era that that we find ourselves in. And 
I don't know. I've 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 got the blues. What 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 can I say? Uh, I'm I'm just kind of feeling like I don't want to get out of bed in the morning. No, and I mean that's my 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 opening bit was not just a, a random spiel. It was also sort of just like reminiscing. I, I got there because I was reminiscing on how we had it so good and we didn't even know it. Yeah. Like, I think, like, we knew it on some level, but I think there was this, like, baseline expectation that, like, well, of course this is how it's going to go. Of course, uh, Donkey Kong Racing. Why Why wouldn't that come out for the GameCube? Right. Like, you think, you <laughs> this think... is just how it goes. And just comparing that to where we are now, it's like, man. You think the good times are going to last forever. You think that what represents your youth will be the permanent status quo. And then you you quickly realize, well, I mean, unless you're a Pokemon fan or any number of other franchises that didn't dissipate for numerous reasons. No, if you're a Pokemon fan, then then the franchise is dead and ruined two generations after you became a Pokemon fan. Like clockwork happens every time. Oh, okay. So even even if you still get everything, you still find a reason to complain. You pretty much do, yeah. Okay, interesting. <laughs> That's what it's, not not everybody. This is not universal, but yeah, fan, fandoms on the internet tend to find things to complain about. I wouldn't know about this. I, w- I wouldn't know about this because I'm <laughs> sure always wouldn't. I'm always left wanting. <laughs> no, but we, you know, I, I I am proud of how we continue to. Make the most out of the little we're given. Uh, I, th- I think that's one of the greatest aspects of, if you want to say DK Vine, if you want to say the entire uh, fan culture that we are but a small part of, but a, but a drop in the bucket of. I, I do appreciate how Donkey Kong and DKU fandom, for the most part, obviously you're going to get your uh, extreme cases here or there, some of your more hostile vocal like banjo kazooie contingent right now but i i think for the most part we do have a remarkable tendency to just persevere uh, and i am proud of of how we're able to do that and it's not easy all the time uh, the last month in particular was very challenging but i am proud of the work we do and if you like the work we do uh, make sure you check us out on Patreon. It is how DK Vine continues to operate after all of these years. It, we, we, we get by through the generosity and good nature of our patrons. And all, all I can say is if you like the conversation, if you would like to see more content like the conversation then the easiest way for that to happen is if I, you know, can have this uh, little little monthly nest egg where this is all I have to do. And I, I can really uh, give you the Donkey Kong journalism, not only that you deserve, uh, but, I, but I feel like what Donkey Kong deserves. Really, look look at the output. P- people, people, look. I'm, I am not a DK Vine staffer, I can say this. Look at the <laughs> output that Heil does already. Look at all he does for you. Imagine if he didn't have to do anything else. Can like like my god. I don't I don't I don't particularly understand as a fellow person who, you know, does their job on the internet. I don't really understand how you find enough hours in the day to do what you do already. So the idea, the idea that you could that you could make this your full-time job is both exciting and horrifying. See, what what the goal is, Josh, is I need to be able to afford uh, feeding tubes so I don't have to eat. 
Mm-hmm. Because really, I hate eating because eating takes me away from producing Donkey Kong content. And if I don't have to of course, eat, of course. if I don't have to eat, then sky's the limit. But unfortunately, that stuff is expensive. I've looked into it. <laughs> so, <laughs> I you just, wouldn't think you wouldn't think that like edible fluid would be that much. You'd think it would be cheaper than real food, but it, but it turns out it's like when when you go full vegan, you realize for for whatever reason meat is cheaper than non meat, and you would think it would be the other way because it's like this is this was a life form that we are slaughtering. Right. How how's this not more worth more than this? But apparently, but apparently, so yeah, the the paste is just astronomically expensive (laughs) no legit like trying to eat healthy um like the the price of food has like quadrupled over the past five years it seems Mm. like anyway yeah and healthy food i'm not a vegan but like healthy food was always more expensive anyway so it's just like man well it's part of the reason i was dragging my feet on becoming a vegan because cheese is cheap uh, like, yeah. <laughs> especially are like imitation cheese. That's really cheap. And right. it's like, I don't want, and when I say imitation cheese, it still has dairy in it, you know, but it's a yeah, processed not, cheese product. Yeah. 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 So I'm like, you know, I, I don't know if I want to fully commit because, uh, you know, I, I've got to, uh, I've got, I've got to save some money for Donkey Kong Lego, but <laughs> <laughs> eventually I was like, no. My guilt got the best of me. And, you know, once I committed, like, two weeks in, I was like, I don't miss cheese anymore. This is the weirdest thing. It's just, like, you have to break that um, break that dependency on it. Once you do, it's like, oh, I'm not really craving that. I'm just craving the routine of it. Anyway, I'm not, I'm not here to advocate for <laughs> veganism. I'm here to advocate for Donkey Kong journalism. You can, you can have whatever <laughs> diet you want. It's not for everyone, people. I'm not saying everybody needs to become a vegan. It works for me. Might not work for you. But Donkey Kong journalism will work for you. If you back us on Patreon. I think I saved right that. <laughs> um, so, also, uh, it, we, we don't get a lot of money from this because T Public thinks it's AI-generated content. But we do have a merchandise store. It is on T Public. We do get a small cut of every sale. And you can find us at dkvine.com forward slash merchandise or just search for us on TeePublic. We got shirts. We got a magnet. We'll have more products in the months to come. If you would like to support independent Donkey Kong journalism, then make sure you wear independent Donkey Kong shirts. (laughs) Yeah, it's not... It's not AI generated. It's actually made using the brain power of Donkey and Diddy Kong. Yeah, you're right, right. Which is which is uh, what they did in Donkey nebulously Kong different, but different nonetheless. Right, which is how they ran the Kremlin Empire in Donkey Kong Country Three for a very brief time. But no, it, I, I I like our shirts. They're stupid. They're fun, and uh, they're quite comfy. I was just wearing the Congo Canopy shirt yesterday in celebration of Mario Golf Total Tours. 20th anniversary and never you fear we do have that 20th anniversary spotlight episode for Toadstool Tour all lined up we're just waiting to uh just waiting to execute it because we have to get through a couple things first this episode and uh, of course our first impressions on Donkey Kong Lego because those are coming out uh, August 1st and uh and and that's where the Patreon money will go this month uh, well, I mean, a little bit, yes, because I do need to <laughs> actually do need to buy those to give my first impressions. Uh, but it, you know, we're, we're talking about hype cycles on this episode. 
I don't know how much you can really say there's a hype cycle for these, but I'm I'm looking forward to it. it it's going to be fun to to break them out and build my own little scenarios with uh, the Lego Mario traipsing through the Lego Congo jungle. Um, yeah, it should be fun. Um, it's not, not something we as Donkey Kong fans get get to dive into and i i say this knowing that there's also sonic the hedgehog lego also coming out on august 1st josh so are are you looking forward to those at all oh i was never i was never a lego guy to be honest with you i when i I think you've talked about lego on here before Mm. how when you were a kid you didn't have like individual lego sets you just had like these tubs of like different bricks and you were supposed to like you know, make them yourself. At least that's how Lego was introduced to me. Like they, they right. probably had the sets out around the time, but I wasn't looking for them because all I knew Lego as was the stuff that just like dumped out in front of you. And then you kind of outgrow at a certain age. Yeah, that's how, that's how it was all introduced to me too. But I just, I had as a kid, like no interest in that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I did buy the Mario, the, the, the original Mario set though. And, you know, we, we put it together and we, we messed around with it a little bit. And my impression was kind of like, okay, this is really cool, but like, I don't have the imagination of a child. So <laughs> that's kind of, that's kind of a detriment to this whole, to the, the whole concept of how you're, you're meant to play with this. Mm-hmm. So it sets on a shelf and looks nice. And I am an adult, I am a boring adult collector. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I like if, if it wasn't for that, um, interactive aspect of it i might not be looking forward to it as much because we, we might be making the argument in our first impressions episode is it canon or not is it canon um, <laughs> so th- that that aspect that mischievous like what the hell are we doing element is is what's really thrilling me if it was just a toy it would be really cool but it would just be another thing to collect dust on my shelf so um, yeah, yeah, I'll probably get at least the Dixie Kong Lego because I I don't have any merch whatsoever of Dixie Kong, which just feels wrong. Well, there's very little that's been produced yeah, exactly. over the last twenty eight years, twenty eight years. Jeez. Yeah. Well, Josh, uh, really quick, would you like to plug your own YouTube channel, The Geek Critique? Yeah, go to. What is it? YouTube.com slash Geek Critique. <laughs> Search for the Geek Critique on YouTube. What you'll, is it? You'll find something on there. I'm currently working on a Metro on another Metroid season. Oh wow. Wow. You're 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 producing more Metroid content than Retro Studios has produced in the last six years. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, it works out kind of well because it's been so long since I made the original like season on 2D Metroid games that now my perspective on them has kind of changed and I can go back and do that again. <laughs> that's yeah. the, that's yeah, the but... funny thing. That's the funny thing about Metroid, you know? It's like, re- it has relatively few major releases, so this is kind of what you have to do yeah. to, like, to, like, continuously cover it. Yeah, I, I guess Donkey Kong and the DKU, we, we, we at least have more content to get nostalgic for than Metroid. So, yeah, that's been that's been a very uh, that's been a real strength of DK Vine is the whole concept of the of the DKU just allows you to cast a pretty wide net. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And that being said, 
It has been 10 years since tropical freezes reveal. And as a result That's of right, that... That's right, I can't believe it's already been five years. Like, it's hard to believe. It doesn't feel like it. Five years? That's, that's just, that's more, that feels more correct to me oh. than it being 10 years. Oh, no, it's been that's five years saying. since the Switch, <laughs> since the Switch version, Josh. Oh, so it has, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And I, I was like, oh, did, 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 did he miss here? Did he, did he think no, I was talking no, about no. the Switch version? No, I'm talking about the OG Wii U Tropical Freeze. And, and I, I, as a result of it being a decade since that reveal at E3, 2013 i have been thinking a lot about that summer in particular this summer because that summer josh was the last time that i've been fully ensconced full fully encased in the pre-release hype cycle for a new full-length donkey kong game and there's a lot yep. of caveats in that sentence. I said new, sure. and I said full length. Because I know somebody's mm-hmm. going to come and say, well, you got Tropical Freeze for the Switch in 2018. Well, you got Donkey Kong Adventure uh, in Mario plus Rabbit's Kingdom Battle in 2018. And I'm like, yes, I, I, I realize that. And I'm that's not to disparage either one of those. But the last time we got a new full-length Donkey Kong game, it was Tropical Freeze for the Wii U. So... That is an important distinction here. Now, let me explain, though, what I mean by pre-release hype cycle, because this is kind of a term I'm just pulling out of my ass to define a very narrow window of time before a game comes out. And everyone processes the hype for a game that they're into differently. And for some of our listeners out there, the pre-release hype cycle of a game might not even really be a thing. You might hear like, oh, there's a game coming out that I'm really looking forward to. I don't want to spoil myself for anything, so I'm shutting down right now. I'm not going to read anything about it, not going to learn anything about it. You might see the initial reveal trailer, and then you cut yourself off cold turkey. And I I don't know how people do that. Some people do that, though. Um, It's it's hard to do. I've... um, I. You know, traditionally, I have not done that at all. I've I've been, you know, all over every single thing that I, that I'm interested in. Mm-hmm. Um, in recent years, I've sort of tried to do that a little bit more, but nonetheless, like with social media and especially like having any sort of an online presence at all, it's very very difficult to do. And if you run a site like DK Vine, it is impossible. Oh, yeah. to do. <laughs> you have no chance. I, I, because you can't. You can't cut yourself off because you have to talk about it. You have to run articles on it. You have to indulge in and participate in the hype cycle or else you are falling flat on your face doing your job. So I can't just pull up stakes and say, okay, I don't want to know anything about the new Donkey Kong game. Uh, I'm going into a cave for the next six <laughs> months. Uh, that's just not something I can do. But, you know, Josh, you and I are both of slightly older stock compared to a lot of the audience listening to the conversation. I, I don't mean to age shame either one of us. That's just the nature of the beast. We are certified 90s kids with a Z. Wait, are, are 90s kids not still the cool use of the internet? Or what are you no, talking about? God, no. Uh, so... <laughs> Being 90s kids with a Z, we actually remember... Extreme! Yeah, whoa! Let's rebrand to X! (laughs) 
Oh, God. We remember game hype to be something a bit different than it is today. Before YouTube, you know, before streaming video at all, you know, like, this was game hype before readily available household internet, before you had a computer in your pocket. Right, like game hype was mostly what magazines doled out in front of you, and and you were kind of a, a captive to that. Like whatever the magazines were reporting on, that's as far as you knew, and and that was all coming through mostly the the studios themselves. So, you know, later on, as the nineties progressed, depending on your household or your just access to things like a library or computer lab. You know, you could pull up things like Nintendo's AOL page, Nintendo Power Source, uh, or or you could, you know, find low-resolution images of games on things like Nintendo.com or Rareware.com. And when you fall in love with a game series, I mean, really fall head over heels for a particular game series where... That is your primary pop culture obsession, or or at least the love that you always return to after you have brief affairs elsewhere. Like, for example, during my entire dalliance with the DKU... In in the nineties, you know, I I I wasn't just like exclusively focused on the DKU. I went through my Star Wars phase. I you know, all sorts of other stuff held my attention, but I would always come back to my true love, right? So, like, 1999, the hype cycle for Donkey Kong 64, it was almost a year long, but I still was lined up for Phantom Menace like everyone else, and um, and then when, you know, that that kind of uh, dimmed, uh, I went right back to speculating about DK When that kind of dimmed two hours later. <laughs> no, I, I've said before... <laughs> I I was determined to consider Phantom Menace a good movie, so I went back like four oh, more course. times, and I I was like, no, I'm I'm mi- like I I really like it. I'm I'm just missing something. <laughs> that's why it's not clicking with me, dude. That's hilarious because I've I've listened to podcasts with dudes who are like ten years older than you, yeah, who like you know grew up with Star Wars when like the original trilogy was coming out, and they had the exact same experience of having this like denial that what they'd seen hadn't lived up to their expectations for, for a sure. while. Yeah, and that being said, I like Phantom Menace the best out of the three prequels, but um, <laughs> it's it's still you know. It's a flawed, flawed piece of cinema. But, yeah, there's nothing more exhilarating, ultimately, when you're in a fandom. And when you're in that fandom mindset for having something new on the immediate horizon. It it is a rush like little else when you are in that fandom mode. And... Look at where Donkey Kong fandom has been in the last half decade. For a good example for of why having a game that's been officially revealed, you know, complete with an announcement, uh, trailer, screenshots, targeted release date, and more, absolutely at any time beats the gray, confusing purgatory of, you know, Intellectually knowing you're going to have more, but having no 
idea exactly when or in what form it will take. So uh, there, there's also the even more harsh, blunt comparison when you say look at uh, Banjo-Kazooie fandom. And when I say Banjo-Kazooie fandom, I don't just mean DKU. I mean just Banjo-Kazooie fandom, right? Uh, where they've been for the last 15 years, where you hope you're going to get a new game at some point, but even that is just uh, wistfulness. And you you kind of know, like, well, probably not. So in the former example, like knowing you're going to have something eventually, we can speculate and we can fantasize about this new Donkey Kong game. But there's really nothing tangible to shore it all up, right? It's all just hypothetical. The sky is the limit when you let your mind wander, but without any parameters for that daydreaming to operate in, it's ultimately just empty calories. It's not fulfilling. It's just, uh, oh, this is what I hope the new Donkey Kong game will be, but... It, it, it's it's nothing real at that point. Yeah, and and to sort of take it even further back than like the the earliest days of the internet or even the earliest days of print, you know, this whole idea of a video game hype cycle, you know, it it didn't come from nowhere. There was this sort of growing realization in the industry that like people were identifying with 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 games and with their products and with this stuff to the point that like they they even wanted to know like about things before they came out like it yeah. took some time for the industry to understand that and i think one thing that's really changed in maybe the last 10 to 15 years and this is something that i believe didn't i, I didn't like pull this but i believe i've seen miyamoto talk about this a little bit is in the mid-90s when the internet really started to become mainstream was sort of the first time that he had realized, or that Nintendo had realized, or that probably video game developers in general realized that, like, gamers enjoy, like, knowing knowing about things well in advance. And they didn't really have a plan on how to deal with that or what to do about that, so they started initially revealing things pretty much as soon as pretty much as soon as they had anything to show on them mm-hmm. and that led and i mean you we we both lived through the n64 era this led to these like multiple multiple games nintendo became rather infamous in the n64 era for announcing games showing them off and then delaying them sometimes months or even years into the future <laughs> right they, I think, I think the, the that era also just sort of had uh, this issue where uh, the industry assumed, for some reason, that three D games were going to be just as easy and quick to develop as two D games had been, and they quickly discovered that was not the case. Yep, yep. But but what I was saying is, is in the past ten ten to fifteen years, what I've really seen is sort of a, a pull back on that attitude. Is that nowadays it seems like Nintendo in particular, but companies in general, don't generally reveal the existence of a game at all until they have a really firm release date that's probably not going to change. 
Uh, of course, as we alluded to earlier, the, 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 the big example, the big counter example to that this decade is Metroid Prime 4, which, <laughs> which was announced in the middle of 2017, and mm-hmm. we still don't have anything more than a logo for it. Right. And that probably won't even be the final logo. Probably not. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, other, other than that, uh, it's, it's hard for me to think of too many high profile examples where, we even had to wait a year once we saw once we saw the first trailer of a game, you know? And that's mostly been the case throughout the history of the DKU, with one or two um, outrageous examples to the contrary, like Conquer. But, uh, yeah, that that is, is all well and good when you're getting that steady output of stuff. But when you've got leaks and and rumors about a new donkey kong game for half a decade uh it it starts to get a little demoralizing once you hit uh any significant milestone like 10 years since the last full-length new donkey kong game was unveiled and you're right you know i i'm running into this thing where you know i i have been like running through what this new donkey kong game that's purportedly in development right now could be and and it's one thing to say you know oh i i wonder if it's going to be 3d that would be fun to have a new 3d donkey kong game i i kind of hope it's 3d i hope there are uh eight animal buddies and and i hope they're rambi and guard squawk squitter uh, perry the parallel bird Glower the Tadpole, and two new ones. Uh, I hope King K. Rule and the Kremlins are the antagonist. I hope at least Diddy and Dixie are both playable. But I hope Cranky, Funky, Swanky, and Lanky are all involved in some capacity. I hope there's I a hope D- Kitty isn't. <laughs> I hope there's a <laughs> DLC pre-order bonus for Banjo and Kazooie to appear as guest stars. You know, you can go on and on and on and just work yourself up into a tizzy. Yes, I said a tizzy. But... None of that is real, right? That That's just uh, non-tangible uh, self-indulgement. Um, you know you're only probably getting around 30 to 40% of that, if you're lucky. But most of all, you don't know what the game will be. You don't know what the game will be titled. You don't know when it will be released. You don't know how far in development it is. And then your mind begins to doubt itself. You begin to question whether it's in development at all, or if you've just been gaslit for half a decade. And then you start thinking, despite all the evidence to the contrary, could Donkey Kong just be dead? Could it just be a dead franchise? And you know that's not the case. Uh, you, you, you know, like, you've, you've got all of this hard evidence that suggests otherwise, but still, the human brain is a stupid, stupid thing. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Yeah. No, I've I've been there. Ah, yeah. And, and it's it's really hard, too, when you are the, if not main, then one of the primary cheerleaders of your fandom, and, and you've got to keep morale up when, when you're feeling fatigued, when you're feeling like you just want to lay down and, and take a break for a while, but you can't. And um, it, it just it just becomes difficult. And when a game, like on the contrary, when a game is legitimately announced, not through leaks or industry scuttlebutt, but through Nintendo saying, yes, hey, here's the new Donkey Kong game. 
here's what we've been working on, here's what it looks like, here's how it plays, here's the story. And here's the targeted release date. Well, that changes everything, because all of a sudden, the hype becomes real. You know exactly what parameters you're working with. And that's when you go from a daydreaming skeptic to a daydream believer. As the title kind of slides into the center of your fandom portion of your brain, and it becomes your all-consuming passion for the next 5 to 11 months, assuming there are no catastrophic delays. So, that is what I'm pining for. And what I what I found myself longing for this summer, especially once we hit the the game release season and we had really nothing to show for it from from our side of the fandom. And I was just like, wow, you know, we we are in desperate need uh, of just this. Be- because So here's a here's a question for you. Yeah. I suspect I know the answer. But just for clarification, would you rather be in the position you're in now? And I, I know you're being in that position. It may be a grass is always greener situation. But mm-hmm. just for clarification, would you rather be in the situation you're in now with Donkey Kong? Or would you rather be in the situation that Metroid fans are in with Metroid Prime 4? Where a logo was revealed more than six years ago and you've heard very little since then. <laughs> yeah. I'm not saying that's an enviable position to be in. It, because sure. it, it is not. Uh, I, I can't even imagine what's going through their heads. And look, I, I have lived the game is announced, game is canceled like thing with, with things like Donkey Kong Racing. Like, I, I know how that feels, although the circumstances for that were far different than Metroid Prime 4 just being in development hell. Ultimately, I, I, I have a feeling like Metroid fans will get Metroid Prime 4 eventually. Now, can it possibly live up to the hype after six years? I, I don't know, but I, I I think there are pluses and there are um, minuses to both. I think at the very least, you know it's coming. Exactly. You know it's That's... you like you you have that reassurance that that little niggling doubt in your head is quieted, even though you might be thinking, like, what's taking so long? Uh, what, what, what's wrong? Would, would, would they announce it's been canceled if it's been canceled? You know, uh, like I said, doubt will always find a way to creep in. Um, I do think it's very small. In a very small way, it is more um, desirable to be in that position than the position we're in, where all we have to go off of are industry leaks and and my own reporting, which is really weird, like <laughs> because like I need reassurance, and and I and I stand by my sources, and I do believe like what I've been told and what I've investigated, and and following the the trail from the um, canceled Donkey Kong game that we talked about earlier this season, Josh, to what Donkey Kong is purportedly to be right now. Like I I. I feel like the story holds up and I stand by it and I, I tell myself that but then also just the the crazy part of my brain it's like but what if so I I, I when really you're, don't when you're know. feeling down and you're feeling discouraged just go back and listen to the optimistic vibes of 2019 Heil <laughs> yeah I had no idea what was coming the next year yeah right 
Um, so yeah, like, I, I, I think that that is the caveat to all of this because just announcing a game is in development can have that uh, same effect. Like, oh boy, I can't wait. Here we go. The hype has begun. And then that will ultimately mean very little to almost nothing if there's no follow-up, if there's no screenshots, if there's no targeted release date, or even any concrete info on what the game actually is. Like, Metroid Prime 4, of course, is the example we keep going back to, but as a Rare fan, I kind of have that going on right now with Everwild. Um, at At least Everwild had two trailers, but... I still don't know exactly what the game is. Nobody knows what the game is. And at least with Metroid Prime 4, you can, I guess, expect something similar to Metroid Primes 1 through 3. You know, you know it's like, okay, yeah, yeah. I I, I guess it's going to be similar to those uh, with Everwild. People are going to be really mad if it's not. Yeah, <laughs> with Everwild, I'm like, I don't, I don't know. There's, 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 there's humans in cloaks and there's funky animals. And... Uh, yeah, I, I would agree. I would rather be, I would rather at least have a logo and at least have some assurances that like something is coming than just be in this position where it's like, well, okay, we have every reason to think there's going to be more Donkey Kong games. Come on, of course there's going to be. But at the same time, that little part of your brain, yeah, and, you know, I, I get, I totally get why this has changed for the sake of branding and for the sake of marketing and for the sake of the way that you want to. Yeah, structure these narratives around your around your hype cycle very intentionally, but you know at the same time, I as a as a fan of gaming, as somebody who follows the industry, I do miss those that period where a game would get announced at E three, and then it would get shown off at like the next four E threes, looking completely different every time, <laughs> and like we just had this continuous. We we it felt like we had like much more access than we do now with certain titles right right and at least a window at least a window into how development was going and there is that fear of falling into that cycle where a game just becomes almost vaporware where it just becomes this thing that's always in development and you don't want to be that game because that puts a lot of undue pressure onto the team onto the people making it where it's much easier if people don't really know what you're working on and you can just oh, go. Yeah, that's, I'm sure that's a big part of it too. Yeah. So you can just go about your job without the entirety of the world looking over your shoulder. Like you done yet? You done yet? You done yet? You done yet? So I do. I do. Why understand. did this change? Why did you remove Bottles Revenge? Why did you remove Stop and Swap? Right. Right. Yeah. So yeah, and I, I say all this. I'm carping. I, I am. I am carping right now, Josh. But. Being a DKU fan, you know, I make a big deal. Oh, it's been 10 years since the last time they announced a new full-length Donkey Kong game. But we've certainly had games that have fallen under this hype cycle purview since Tropical Freeze. Um, like like you you mentioned, the, the beauty of the DKU is that we always have something just over the horizon. Ukulele w- was probably one of the biggest of the last decade, albeit that one was a bit blunted because it wasn't a sequel so much as a spiritual successor. And yeah, it was made by key creative talents from 90s Rare, and they sneaked in a goldfish and, you know, all well and good, but you you still have that uncertainty and it, it isn't just this uh, 
I, I feel like hype cycles work best when they are sequels, when they are part of an existing franchise and you, you, you can readily speculate based on past precedents. Whereas something like ukulele is like, I don't really know Yuka or Lele or any of these weirdos they're hanging out with. So you're, you're excited, but you're also not all in as you would normally be. Um, for me, like Sea of Thieves was definitely next, but in some ways, that hype was almost satiated and, and dulled by being in the loop with the technical alpha before the game even came out. So I was kind of getting drip-fed Sea of Thieves before it got released. And I want to be drip-fed, as I already established, but in that way, it, it almost like... Like, I, I was glad and happy to be part of the technical alpha, but at the same time, when the game came out, as exciting as it finally was, I also kind of knew the ins and outs, right? Yeah, I know what you mean. I, I got into, was it the alpha or the beta? I got into it long after you did in any case, but nonetheless, it was still, you know, like a good year, maybe a little more uh, before the game actually launched. So Sea of Thieves feels like longer ago to me than it really is because of that. Right, and it's still five years old from, from yeah, the commercial yeah. retail version. but and, and even that still had the new IP problem, although like Ukulele, it was still playing in the DKU sandbox. It was still, you know, a lot of unknowns, and it was, you know, as much as, oh, I, I really hope Captain Black Guy shows up. Oh, you know, TT. Yeah. But, you know, you, you still, like, it, it's not the same as, oh... Here is another Banjo-Kazooie game, for example. Um, Super Smash Bros. Ultimate, obviously a huge, huge game for the DKU, especially once King K. Rule was revealed, and then that just became like the center of the universe for a good solid um, four months. But, you know, I, I, I would also argue that hype cycles, and this is just me, this is just how I'm wired, but if a game isn't really an adventure... And I know Super Smash Brothers Ultimate has a world of light, but and I'm not talking about adventure games, but a game that's structured around the premise, around the crux of uh, an adventure in the narrative. If it's not, you love you love lore and world building, right? And, and new characters and stuff, things of that nature. So much it's it's a little bit of a different metric to get to get hyped in the same way about a fighting game. Yeah, exactly. Because it ultimately it's just characters hitting each other, which is still really fun, especially when it's a character I love and it's a character that was so uh, hard fought for, like King K. Rule. But at the same time, you know, I'm not going to get as invested in like analyzing every screenshot that comes out, uh, every interview that comes out with Sakurai. Like it's it's just going to be like. <laughs> Uh, if something big gets divulged, I, I will, I will find out, but I'm not really going to chase every minuscule thing about this. Oh, I've, I've always been extremely, extremely hyped about Smash Brothers releases. I was, uh, during the Brawl hype cycle, they had the Smash Dojo, which mm. would up, which would update, because it would update at a reasonable time in Japan, it would update for us, for me here in the, here in the Eastern United States time at 3 a.m. 3 a.m., yeah. And more often than not, I would be, I would stay up to see what would get revealed. And it was, it was so exciting because sometimes, sometimes it would be a brand new character. Sometimes it would be Diddy Kong or Sonic the Hedgehog getting revealed. Most of the time, it would be like, here's the banana item. But it was still so exciting. <laughs> so I know this comes up all the time. Every time we bring up Smash Dojo, this comes up. But the, the morning Diddy Kong was revealed. 
the update went up much later than normal to the point where I went to bed uh, because like we just gave up, right? We were like, okay, it's been, it's, it's been like 90 minutes since, since the update should have been up. It's probably something big. Uh, it's probably a character, but it's 4.30 in the morning. I'm, I'm getting sleepy. I, I need to get some rest. And then you like wake up seven or something and then you just immediately like <laughs> run run to your computer and then there's Diddy Kong and just your world completely changes. But I think I think the morning before Diddy Kong, it was something really like minuscule and non-consequential, like you must recover. It, it was basically just like talking right. about recovering when you get like knocked off a ledge or something. And I was like, really? This is all you're, this is all you're showing us? Cause that's how ungrateful you get when you have a daily <laughs> update o- on a game is when, when it's has no consequence whatsoever, when it's just a carryover from a past game. You're just like, you're telling me this, you're wasting my time with this. And oh, uh, I wasn't like that. I thought it was hilarious when they did that shit. Yeah. And I, I, I don't even remember the context. Was it that the day we thought we were going to get a new character, we got You Must Recover, and then the very next day we got Diddy. <laughs> but they were they were linked somehow, and uh, yeah, yeah. But... Uh, the, thing I, that, the, the only thing that slightly blunted my hype about Ultimate was that... And this is partly because it actually had been a little bit less time than we normally get between Smash games, and moreover because the Smash 4 DLC cycle it had completed so recently. Uh-huh. But it just felt like, like you know, I, I kind of have this a little bit of this feeling of like, okay, well, we kind of just did this, you know? Yeah, yeah. I th- I Smash think 4 still felt very recent to me. Smash 4 felt recent, but it was so toxic in my mind that having a palate cleanser was, I, I think, much needed, especially once we learned that Every past fighter would be back in this. That that which was is how they announced it, which which really went a long way to like you know reverse that that feeling like it had been like it hadn't been long enough, right? And and then once we found that, I was like, okay, well, even if we don't get anything from this, and I walked into it thinking we're not going to get anything for this uh, because woe is the Donkey Kong fan, and so so I had no expectations and I think because my expectations were ground floor just getting something as basic as every past fighter is back I'm like oh that's cool okay and then I played it at E3 and it was like this is actually it, this actually feels much closer to melee than the past two to three smash games and it's just like okay okay I I can get on board with this even if it's just donkey and diddy uh, that's fine. And then, you well, know. because of the way it was revealed with the, with the whole "everyone is here" trailer, there was a lot of speculation at first that okay, well, we're probably not going to get too many new things out of this, partly right. because, like I said, it had been like Smash Four DLC had basically just finished up. God, I think like a year and a half earlier or something. So th- there was, you know, a lot of people thought, well, we're probably not going to get a whole lot of new stuff out of Ultimate. This is probably just going to be like, you know. Uh, sort of the Mortal Kombat Armageddon of Smash Brothers. Yeah, and I think Sakurai even said, you know, now we, we, we couldn't put too many new characters in here, which... Oh, yeah, I know. I forgot about that. Obviously, they already had the Fighters Pass, like, planned out, and, you know, they... But that just just the way he, he approached it, like, you know, you might get one or two. Here's, here's Daisy and Ridley, 
And, uh, right. you know, so we weren't even, you know, it's like, okay, they got Ridley in. Okay, there's no way K Rule's going to be in this. And then uh, two months later, King K Rule got revealed. And then you're like, okay, you know, Banjo and Kazooie, maybe. Um, and then, <laughs> and then the game. We, we get we get the last uh we, we get the last fighter and it's like okay okay and then they're like dlc and you're like uh, you know but anyway anyway point is it all worked out with ultimate but it uh, really did yeah yeah the, better the, than we ever could have hoped the last game that i would say fell under this this hype cycle was four years ago at this point uh ukulele and impossible lair um that, God, that, might, that doesn't seem possible yeah, that might be the purest case, actually, when discussing everything since Tropical Freeze. Um, that that falls under this topic, the romance of the video game hype cycle, as I put it, where it was a 2D platforming follow-up to a pre-existing game with an already established cast and corner of the DKU. So it was like, oh, here's this new Yuka and Lele adventure. And, uh, you know, we, what characters are going to be back? And we even had that lovely uh, cover uh, art reveal. And, and you, it was, it was very much style like a classic rare cover, uh, from, from the 90s with like all the, like the cast just spread out across this expansive scenic view. And I was like, oh my God, there's Vendy. There's Vendy down there. Vendy's back. And it's just very exciting. And, um, that's the last time we we've really had that for the DKU, and you know we, we've had other things to talk about. We've had other things to get hyped about, but that was the last game that was announced with a release date, and and we were all like really jazzed about. And then everything since then has been just like, oh, here's a here's a new Mario Golf. Diddy's not in it. Uh, here here's here's. Mario Strikers, here's a couple Mario parties, you know, it, it's not the same. It's not really the same. Yeah, like, let, let me see, like, <clears throat> I've really, really noticed this with me, because, you know, you said Ukulele in the Possible Lair, that was four years ago, and that just seems, that <laughs> seems completely bizarre to me. But have you noticed that, like, any length of time that includes like 2020 basically or like the time the the, the time that you, that we spent in lockdown do you find that that like like time gets really really strange and 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 off right around there i feel like the world stopped in march yeah. of of 2020 roughly and i feel like it still hasn't started again <laughs> So I, I feel like I feel like I've been in suspended animation almost. And and I feel like everything that's happened since then has been dreamlike and surreal, but we really haven't gotten going yet. Yeah, I find that what typically Like I, I have this like mental formula for dealing with it where like, you know, you say it's okay, there's four years since ukulele and the impossible lair. If I rem- if I just pretend like like a roughly a year and a half after March of 2020 doesn't exist, and I remove that time period from it, then that feels that that like chronologically feels right to me. So, mm-hmm. for example, if you say it's been uh, what would it be like two and a half years since Ukulele and the Impossible <laughs> Lair, I'm like, yeah, okay, that sounds about about right. 
if you say it's been like eight and a half years since we learned about Tropical Freeze, I'm like, yeah, that sounds that's that sounds more right than ten. Yeah. So like it's like any length of time I consider that includes that stretch, it's just like there's this big blank spot there. I can see that for sure. Yeah. Where whereas I feel like for me, so much of my calendar what was structured around E3. And I know that sounds stupid. Uh but Oh no, that totally makes sense. <laughs> Considering it, what like the what what you guys were doing for what was it about five years. Yeah, like actually going out there, actually like covering it in person. But it, it got it got to the point where like even before that, still you you like stopped everything for E3, right? Even if you're just following from home. It was still very much, uh, okay, it's E3 week, drop everything. Um, everything is focused around this. And it, it, just just imagine if you, like, skipped a couple holiday seasons. You know, you cut, cut out Christmas, Hanukkah, whatever, and, and you just didn't do it. You just didn't acknowledge it. How weird time would feel if you didn't have those big milestones in your life. And so that the absence of E3 has really felt that way to me, where uh, all of a sudden I just don't, um, I just don't have those markers and I just feel unmoored a little bit. I, I feel adrift in, in time. And, and I do agree. Like I've E3 or no, it still hasn't totally gotten back to normal by any means or yeah. perhaps as we've talked about with, with like other things before, perhaps this is just going to be the new normal, but right. But it, it being, you know, so long for Donkey Kong, which is, I mean, if I'm honest, the main driver of, of my fandom still. Like, I, I love all of this other stuff, but Donkey Kong is still the nucleus of it all. And it being so long and us hitting that milestone this June uh, of it being a decade since the last full-length hype cycle... It got me nostalgic about just the notion of, of hype cycles in general. And that's why I invited you on this episode. I, I pitched this to you a while back. I was like, you know, what would be a fun topic, at least for me, maybe for you? Because we're both of the same mindset. We're both cut from the same cloth, especially when analyzing the the fan perspective of gaming rather than just gaming in general just what it means to process this as observers as bystanders and um the whole culture that can spring up around that even if it's self-contained culture within your own brain it's still (laughs) an impactful way you process and perceive these games and um you you can't divorce your your own introduction to these titles um you 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 can't like separate yourself from how you were initially um introduced and brought to these games and and, it, and it, yeah and also just like the experience of sharing that experience with other fans can make such a huge difference because I I've probably told this story on the show at some point before but I remember in 1999 I wasn't in any way a part I loved Donkey Kong mm. I I I grown up with Donkey Kong Country and that to me already seemed like the <laughs> the long like the long ago times of elementary school 
And so to see the screenshots of DK64, to follow the news about it, like, I did all that, but, you know, I was I was kind of just, uh, I was alone in that endeavor, you know, or, or so I thought. Um, so the game came out, I rented it, I enjoyed it, I thought it was good, I remember some reviews slamming it, and, but I wasn't, like, so into it that I got it, that I, that I bought it at that time, I didn't ask for it for Christmas, um, uh, part of that, of course, was the, the the Dreamcast was coming out, so that's where all my attention was. And then, about a year later, uh, I found that was when I found DK Vine. Mm-hmm. And your year one year ago hype for DK sixty four in the news, in the features, in the accounts, like the the degree to which you guys were excited for it was so infectious that I got hyped for it all over again, way more than I had been before it had actually come out, <laughs> and I did get it for Christmas in 2000. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, so how dare you? I'm sorry. How dare are... you lead me lead me to, to wasting a Christmas present on a game like DKC? No, I enjoyed it. We should I, have I deleted the site, it. in all honesty. <laughs> no, I was, I was really, really into DK64... For about a month, and then ban- and, and then I got Banjo Tooie, and I never really played it again. Yeah, it's amazing how 1999 just had these long-awaited sequels that we are just desperate to convince ourselves they were good, and we <laughs> we just we just went back again and again. Okay, maybe I'm missing something. Maybe I, this isn't quite clicking with me. They said it's this, this it's just the same, but in 3D. But <sighs> no, um. DK64 is only good if you are wearing a polo shirt, actually. <laughs> and you get a hair, you get a, yeah, you get haircuts between the VHS you tapes. You gotta your hair up, yeah. Yeah, between the VHS tapes of 1994 and 1999, it's just like, wow, you've gone corporate. You, 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 <laughs> like the, the pitchmen have just like sold out to the man. Anyway. That was my childhood, Heil. How dare you? How dare you diss the good name of Hot New Z64? Ugh. Crush me, big monkey! Crush me! <laughs> That's probably my least favorite of the hype tapes. I have to say, like, oh god! So that was like my generations. They get paid. <laughs> Your generation. We are we are of the same generation. Yeah, man. like there's not that wide of a gulf between us. No, I do notice though because because things in gaming change so 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 quickly. Like even a couple years, or they did rather, you know, back then. Even a couple of years difference of when you get into it can can really like completely change your perspective. Like I I had a mutual friend on Twitter one time, sort of speculate like, wow, I wonder if like. I wonder if this is how the geek critique felt watching the millennial generation come of age. And I'm like, dude, I'm part of it. Yeah. But, right. you know, he started yeah. gaming in, like, the early 2000s. So, like, his perspective on that stuff was so totally different from mine. Well, it's like we've we've talked about ad nauseum on this podcast where when you are below a certain age... Time is just this massively consequential... Like epoch, you know, e- like a mm-hmm. year can feel like five years when you're an adult. And uh, that's why when you become an adult, you're like, wait, it's been four years since Ukulele and the Impossible Lair? That can't be right. <laughs> uh, be- because, yeah, four years when you're a kid is the, is the difference between like being in kindergarten and being in fourth grade. It- it's just this huge span of your life. 
but then when you've lived enough of your life, then that's just, it's, it's barely anything. Um, but what, what I would like to do, Josh, is just take some time for us to both reminisce about certain hype cycles for certain games, ones that were the most impactful for us. And you can bring up whatever you would like. I definitely have ones I want to address that are, you know, on brand, on topic for DK Vine and the conversation. But if there are other games outside of our purview that you would like to um, dive into, feel free. Because this is all about r- really like, I, I think sharing notes as fans, just just in general fans, and and you at home, um, you listening to us right now, uh, you might not be in your home, wherever you're listening to us. I, I want you to reflect on your favorite hype cycles, if you've got any to reminisce about, and just just the excitement around that time. Doesn't have to be DKU, but but anything that made you feel. The feelings that were about to share, um, have at it. Uh, I, I think it's fun. I think I think it's healthy to sort of indulge a little bit um, in, in nostalgia from time to time, and just remember and, and rediscover your passion for for gaming. Uh, because sometimes we do get so caught up in what we have, what we don't have how good the last game was, in our opinion, fighting wars with other fandoms (laughs) because your game got announced and their game did it. And we, we we just get so, like, mired in stuff that doesn't matter, stuff that saps joy from us, when this is all about joy, bringing lightness to an otherwise dark life that, that we, we lead. So, um, and and on that note, you know, sort of in relation to what we were saying earlier about the pandemic, I suspect that I, I maybe suspect is even is even like <laughs> casting too much doubt. I pretty much know that a big part of the reason that it has been so long since we've had any major hype cycles, you know, is because of how the whole industry and the whole world was affected by COVID. So for sure, I mean, it, like it, I. Uh, it, it's it's probably the case that we would that we would have had more to talk about over the past couple of years, uh, if not for that. Yeah, we, we we talk about all of the mitigating circumstances for why it's been so long since there's been a Donkey Kong game, and it you know it it is just kind of um, this ludicrous sequence of events. That can honestly be traced back to the rare buyout and, and Donkey Kong losing its home base. And and then from there, it you know, it it bounced around, couch surfed a little bit, found a home in Retro Studios, but it was always gonna be a temporary situation. They were they were gonna make a game and a sequel, and then they were gonna move on to something else, and then what becomes of Donkey Kong? Well, it found a new home about a year after that, or two years after that. And then be- circumstances made it so then, you know, development was scuttled. And then they had to find or figure out who was going to be doing the new Donkey Kong game, if it was going to be Nintendo itself or somebody else. And then from there, it's got to restart development. And the more ambitious it is, the longer it's going to take. And then, oh, there's a worldwide pandemic that shuts everything down for several months and and 
completely upends the way we live our life for the period of time after that. So yeah, yeah, it it's just <laughs> been it's just been misfortune upon misfortune for Donkey Kong. So we we, we say all of this not to wring our hands and be like, oh, it's so bad. Like I'm so confident that the Donkey Kong game is in development. I'm so confident that we have sunny days ahead. I legit do think it's healthy to, you know, just acknowledge the frustration sometimes. It's, 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 it, you know, it's, it's not something that you want to ignore entirely. It's, um, not that I'm like, how do I put this? Like it, I, I, I it, around the e around the not e three episodes this year. It's not that I liked hearing you be down about things, but at the same time, I was like, you know, yeah, I've kind, I've kind of been feeling that too, and I'm glad I'm not alone in that. A lot of people uh, came forward and said as much to me, uh, mm-hmm. which, which I, I appreciate it because you know, I don't want to be the vintage negative DK Vine where I'm, sure. I'm. You know, shaking my fist at an, an evolving world that doesn't <laughs> yeah. exactly match up to my childhood where, you know, I, I, I've matured past that, but there does hit a point where you can't be uh, just this bastion of positivity 24 seven because it's, it's artificial. And, and yeah, like I, I do feel like we have plenty of reasons to look forward to the future as a fandom. But when you hit your 10th E3, <laughs> or or not E3 <laughs> without Donkey Kong news and 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 the rare side of things is also looking a little barren these days you you're kind of just like what what's happening and, and, and like I I I just feel like I'm losing it and yeah so so let's th- indulge in hype cycles of the past yeah yeah let's, so, let's sorry to, sorry to derail us there although no let's you know. <laughs> Let's remember the good times so that we may reassure ourselves of the good times that are still to come. So for me, my, I think my first genuine hype cycle, because of course I would look forward to games like uh, intellectually, like I, I would know there was a new Super Mario Brothers game coming and, and you would hear about things like out of Japan and it would be like playground whispers. Uh, but the the first time I really followed, in in any real sense, a new game was Donkey Kong Country Two. Uh, Donkey Kong Country Two, the summer of nineteen ninety five, was my first real, genuine hype cycle, and this this was not just a hype cycle for DKC Two. Like obviously, I, I was very hyped for it. But this was really more the planting of the seeds for the DKU harvest that was still to come. Because getting a (laughs) full-fledged sequel to Donkey Kong Country a year after that had come out, and only like half a year after uh, Donkey Kong Land, it made it really feel like the possibilities were endless. Like DKC two is announced and I learned about DKC two. I know others will, will have differing experiences if they were around, uh, if they were 
alive or or just cognizant in this time period. But for me, I learned about Donkey Kong Country 2 the day I I went to well, I put Donkey Kong Land on layaway. I, I I've told right. this story before <laughs> where, you know, I, I paid for it with my own um childhood allowance so it, it was this thing where you could put things on layaway and if you're a kid you like th- this was a good way to ensure that your money was going towards the thing you wanted even if you didn't have the money on hand then so you put down a little down payment and from there you would go back every week and add a little bit more till you could get it right um god i can't believe you i can't believe you had the fiscal responsibility as a child to to do that sort of thing well so so the thing is i love that's very impressive i love donkey kong land right i i or donkey kong country i love donkey kong country and i really wanted donkey kong land even though i remember the skepticism around it why are they doing this why are they doing a one for the game boy this is stupid like this was what the adults around me were saying um, like, uh, this is just, they're, they're just trying to get your money. And right. I was just like, yeah, but I really like Donkey Kong Country. I really like Donkey Kong Country. And I kind of made this vow, this solemn oath that I would get every game that would follow. So, uh, yeah, I'm going to get Donkey Kong Land. Uh, but actually I think I, it was the day, you know, it was the day I picked it up from Layaway. I also mm-hmm. got the Nintendo Power. That was the Donkey Kong Land cover issue. And in this Nintendo Power, it was also them covering the very first E3. Uh, oddly enough, this the very first E3, E3 1995, in Los Angeles at the LA Convention Center, was where they showed off Donkey Kong Country 2 for the very first time. This is where I learned about Donkey Kong Country 2, where I learned about the bonkers plot, uh, where they were giving the sequel over to Diddy. They they were kidnapping Donkey Kong. They were introducing this new character, Dixie Kong. And I, I remember having that magazine in hand with Donkey Kong Land. So so this was kind of a one-two punch for me, this, this hype cycle, because not only was I getting the second installment in this series, in, in Rare's Donkey Kong series, Proto DKU even, like this, this is just Rare's Donkey Kong series, I was mm-hmm. getting the second installment of that, but I was also getting my first taste of the first full-fledged console sequel to it. So, so by that by that point, how cognizant were you of like the difference between Rare and Nintendo? So th- this is actually where it really started kicking off in my head because I I did attribute Donkey Kong Country to Nintendo. Like obviously, you boot up the game, you see that wireframe logo turning into this shiny golden um, shield of rareware but you don't even really know like rareware I, I don't know did they make it with rareware like what what is rareware and eventually like you 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 see the game credits like and and, and you like start learning okay game by rare rare is who made it with nintendo but you still don't really know that there's much difference or or what the the division of labor is right because sure. you're still as, as a kid if you're a nintendo kid or a sega kid you're gonna attribute most everything to nintendo or sega you're not gonna have like of course like rare or or the sonic team or it, it's just it's just 
the, these omnipresent brands. The, oh, yeah, the, even even like third party studios, I didn't understand. Like, I didn't I didn't really have any grasp on what Konami was or Capcom. See, I knew that just because I knew those games didn't tend to be as good as the ones that were <laughs> Nintendo, like the ones sure. that didn't have that logo on them. That they're just like there are the ones that didn't have a logo, like the ones that were just like unbranded, were, were the ones that were like the really good ones the nintendo ones the ones that were made by nintendo and then you have the third party ones that you can have some fun ones for sure but there's always something off about them (laughs) so i I was of course aware that like some properties like street fighter for instance would come out on both the genesis and the super nintendo and so right you know i i knew that logically not everything came directly from sega or nintendo but you know i was I was also younger than you in a way that made a difference at this time. Yeah, yeah. So, like my first experience with Donkey Kong Country, um, I didn't get the I didn't get the VHS tape. I didn't have a Super Nintendo yet when Donkey Kong Country came out. I believe I rented a Super Nintendo at some point before I got one, Mm -hmm. and I think at that time one of the games I rented might have been Donkey Kong Country. I definitely regardless of anything else, rented it before I really got into it. But I think at that time I was, you know, I just was probably just like just turned six years old or something. And I was so new to gaming and I had so little to compare it to that I didn't really have the context for, one, why this game was so different and so special compared to anything else that had ever come out because everything in gaming was brand new to me at that point. Mm Mm-hmm. And two, I didn't really have the context or the ability to play it. Because the design philosophy behind Sega's Sega's games, and Sonic in particular, was quite different than the design philosophy behind behind Nintendo's and indeed, indeed Rare's. So... The idea that I could only take one hit and then and then I'd lose my character was just way too much of a challenge for me at that point. <laughs> um, and then about a year later, you know, being a far more well-rounded and, and experienced gamer comparatively, comparatively by that time, I don't know why. I don't know, like, if I just, if, if like a Blockbuster employee recommended it or something, but I rented Donkey Kong Country 2. And this was probably within a month or so of it coming out anyway. I definitely remember it being around around Christmas time or around, like, you know, Christmas break that year. Mm-hmm. And that was when I absolutely fell in love with it. Yeah, like, for, for me, somebody who's already on board, right, and, and, and already loved Duncan Country way more than any other video game that I had ever played, to the point where, I, you know, I, I mentioned, like, that was like a lightning bolt went off in my head where I was like, this is it. This is what I've been waiting for. Everything pales in comparison to this. This, this like so perfectly aligns with all of my sensibilities and everything else will feel cold and tasteless from now on, unless it is more Donkey Kong Country. <laughs> and, I mean, that's that's an ethos I've actually stuck by. That That's held true. Like, obviously, I've enjoyed other games that aren't DKU. But let's be honest, uh, you know, I, 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 I am still faithful to that, like, underlying principle of, like, nothing will bring me the excitement nor contentment 
that that a DKU game will bring. But having that like sort of um, doling out of the follow-ups, Donkey Kong Land gives you your your first taste of more uh, of, of what this world can be outside of the confines of that one cartridge and of course it got a little crazier got a little zanier but also built on the canon of the first game like here's more of the gangplank galleon and and we're establishing kremlantis which which adds more um, context to those temples you you run through and and here's uh chimpanzee clouds that's weird and and here's big ape city this is where the arcade games took place and you're like oh my god like the the world makes so much more sense to me now, and then you've got the promise of this Donkey Kong Country too, where where it's going to be Diddy's game, and there's going to be a new girl monkey that he partners with. And I just remember, I went on two family vacations that summer, one early in the summer, one later in the summer, like June and August, and um, they were both to visit relatives. In Pennsylvania, Dif- different relatives, my my um, my mom's relatives and my dad's relatives. And I, I just remember like bringing that very quickly, like well-worn issue of Nintendo Power with me <laughs> on both trips, as well as my Game Boy with Donkey Kong Land, as well as my Super Nintendo console with Donkey Kong Country uh, f- for the evening. And it, my, my whole summer, I mean, this was also the summer of Batman Forever. Like, that was a big deal in the summer of 95, you know? You got the Riddler, Jim Carrey, come on, the Seal song. Uh, but <laughs> for, me, it, for me, it was the summer of Mighty Morphin Power Rangers, the movie. Was that 95? That was 95, I guess yeah. it was 95, yeah. Yeah, I also saw that, I believe it or not. I saw that in theaters. I, 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 went... I distinctly remember walking out of that theater, walking into the parking lot. You know, it's one of those cases where you, when you go in, it's like still daytime. And when you come out, it's night. But it's like the parking lot is still, like you, you can still feel the heat. And yeah. I remember just looking up at the sky and thinking, that is the best movie I've ever seen. <laughs> you weren't at all concerned about how the canon didn't mesh with the TV show? <laughs> not really, no. I don't remember worrying too much about that. Like, who was that pig fella? <laughs> That's weird. Um. <laughs> I, I had already been introduced to the complete nonsensical mania that, that was and still is Sonic canon. So oh, okay. I knew to, to expect inconsistency. So, like, I, I'm just saying, like, the summer of 95 had a lot of, like, big kid flashpoints mm-hmm, to, to, mm-hmm. to, like, draw my interest in, but... Donkey Kong Country was this like vibrant undercurrent during that entire summer to the point where I was obsessing over it. And uh, yeah, just like I, I remember this is the first time I was openly speculating about things <laughs> like where the plot would go, what characters would show up, where the game would take place. Because this issue of Nintendo Power didn't say anything about Crocodile Isle. So I was like, does this take place on the backside of Donkey Kong Island that we didn't see in Donkey Kong oh, Country? Oh, that's so cool. That's so interesting that they didn't that they didn't specify where all of this was happening. Yeah, so you're like, Donkey Kong Country is a very defined place. And, and if this is more of Donkey Kong Country, where does this take place? So... <laughs> I, 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 I just remember, and, and of course, these screenshots were so awe-inspiring, and there was so much 
darker than than the imagery of of Donkey Kong Country. Like there was like dark forest, dark mine shafts. You you're fighting a giant necky, and, and in this early screenshot, it was dark, and it was just it, it was just so much like gloom, and it was such a high contrast to a lot of the visuals of Donkey Kong Country that it was so exciting, and and it really just felt like the sky is the limit because if we're getting a sequel, but a year later, will that mean we get another sequel two years later? And then the N64 game three years later. And, and, you know, like at this point, it was already mapped out in my head, right? We're getting, we got Donkey Kong land. We got, we're getting Donkey Kong country two. So that will mean Donkey Kong land two, Donkey Kong country three, Donkey Kong land three, Donkey Kong for the N64, Donkey Kong for the Virtual Boy, Donkey Kong N64 2, Donkey Kong Virtual Boy 2. The idea that the Virtual Boy would last long enough that it would that a Donkey Kong Virtual Boy game would come after an N64 game. Well, that's the thing. The Virtual Boy wasn't even out yet. That it was no, coming that's out. That's true. The, yeah, it was coming was out like the, August of '95. Yeah, it was coming out near the end of that summer. So you were thinking, mm. well, Nintendo has never failed before. They're, the, the Virtual Boy is here to stay. We're gonna have so many games for the Virtual Boy, and and that's probably gonna you know be the next Game Boy. So we're we're just going to have, you know, and, and then after the N64, it's going to be, well, it was the Nintendo Ultra 64 in my mind then. So then it was going to be the, um, like, N- Nintendo Supremacy or, or whatever. So, <laughs> so yeah, you're just going to have, like, alternating Donkey Kong games, right? And then you're going to maybe have spinoffs. Like, let's... Let, let's give this character their own game. So, you know, it was a very exciting time. And I remember being more intrigued about the possibilities of the future than even just DKC2. This was kind and of... And that's the- so cool that you were already, like, thinking in these terms because, like, for at least the next couple of years, you were totally right. That That is, <laughs> right. aside from the Virtual Boy stuff, that is how it went. <laughs> it is, until we, you know, until we got to the N64 and things kind of got a little bit cloudier. But... It, it is funny, though, that I was almost satiated by this one magazine because I, wa- I wasn't entirely motivated to seek out more information on Donkey Kong Country 2 at this point. I, I was just like, okay, the game's coming out this November, according to Nintendo Power. Uh, that's all I need to know. I'm good. I'm excited. Well, to be fair, you didn't really have a way <laughs> to to find more information at that time. Well, there there was a way. There just wasn't um a will yet. That would come the next year with what I think is probably my all-time if not favorite hype cycle than the one that seared into my brain the most. And that was the hype cycle for <clears throat> These kind of intersected for for uh, the bulk of summer of 96. Donkey Kong Land 2 and Donkey Kong Country 3. Both announced at E3 1996, which of course was also the E3 where the Nintendo 64 was shown off. Nintendo 64 hype was in full swing at this point. But for me, all that mattered at this point was... I was getting Donkey Kong Land 2, and then I was getting Donkey Kong Country 3. The Nintendo 64 could wait. I was like, give me give me my full trilogies on both Super Nintendo and Game Boy, 
and then I will care about the N64. I don't care about, <laughs> I mean, I cared about the N64 because it was a new Nintendo console and oh my God, 3D games. And that was so cool. But all, all like the majority of my focus and attention was on Donkey Kong. The most I was focusing on the N64 was imagining what the Donkey Kong game was going <laughs> to be on that. But before I had that, I had Donkey Kong Country 3. So this this is really where the obsession ratcheted up a significant degree for me. Because Donkey Kong Country 2 blew my socks off. I mean, it, it's still my favorite game of all time. So you can imagine the fervor I felt for it back in 1995, 1996... So when yeah, and and then we have just this insufferable wait. <laughs> December ninety five to June ninety six. God, can you imagine having to wait that long for a new Donkey Kong release? It's laughable now, but I remember <laughs> when DK Vine was just starting out. I referred to this as the Donkey Kong drought. Oh my god, that's hilarious. <laughs> I'm serious. I'm serious. Because in my mind, this was the longest gap of time where we did not know what was next. Well, this is like, you know, you talk about going on vacation in 1995, bringing your Game Boy with you. Yeah. Uh, you and I had, I think, parallel summers, in a sense. It's just that mine happened one year later in 1996. So as I said earlier, I got... Donkey Kong Country 2, um, well, I rented it uh, over Christmas break, I believe, in 1995, and I have this such a distinct memory of going to the mall with my mom and getting and getting that game uh, on January 1st, 1996, and I don't know why that's seared into my memory so much, but I just, I have such a clear memory of, like, going, picking up that game and then going and eating in the food court and, like, knowing that I had it, like, you know, yeah. in, in that plastic bag and being so excited to get home and play it. That's such a, that's such a good feeling. Like, that, that is ultimately the, the culmination of any hype cycle when you have the shrink-wrapped game box in your hand. And, and and it's just such a validating moment. And nowadays, you know, like they just deliver it to your porch unless unless you like go out into a game store and buy it. Um, but but when you're a kid and, and you actually got it, you know, it, from a shop and, and you like walked out with it, that was such a it, it was like the, the feeling when you're um, graduating, you know, it was yeah. like I've made it. I've got diploma in hand. I, I, I have accomplished something. Um, that, that's the way it felt. I, I remember having that shrink wrap Donkey Kong Country 2 in my hand. My mom picked me up, um, that, that afternoon and it was waiting for me in the car. Yeah. And I, that's, I, that's always a good feeling too. Yeah. I just, I just, I wouldn't even open it until I got home because I had to savor every right. second of the process. But yeah, so that after getting that game, like through the, through the rest of that winter, through the Christmas break, turned into the rest of the winter, turned into the spring, and that was like Donkey Kong Country Two. To that point, was by far the most difficult game that I had ever gotten good at. Yeah, and it took me a long time to get good at it, and it became this whole like neighborhood event with with uh, a couple of brothers who lived a, who lived a few houses down from me. 
and like they would come over and we'd play it and, and like there were levels that some of them were, were were better at and there were levels that I was better at right and over the course of like I what seems like about four to four or five months like we slowly agonizingly made our way through that game and by the time summer rolled around you know where where you were you were in this Donkey Kong drought at the same time I was getting like that's when I got the original Donkey Kong Country, so I had oh. <laughs> I had that to digest. And by the and by that summer, me and all of my friends and like my family members who were of similar age to me, we were all just completely obsessed with Donkey Kong Country. And I remember going on vacation that summer, and me and my cousin, we you know we we go swimming, and. We would take turns, like, okay, I'm going to swim the way DK does, and I'm going to swim the way Diddy does. And, like, we would imitate their their swimming animations. Oh, been there, done that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It must have been weird going from DKC2 to DKC, though. It was, yeah. DKC, like, after beating DKC2, DKC did not take us very long at all. (laughs) It was much, much easier. Yeah, yeah. I, I like for me like just like the absence of a lost world would have been disconcerting and just like wait where wait what what are the point of bonus levels I don't understand <laughs> what is the structure here there's no structure yeah no I I remember getting to the last level uh in DKC for the first time and being like okay here we go like <laughs> this is gonna be intense this is gonna be really hard and then we uh we got to like. The, you know, in DKC1, you had those arrows that would tell you when you were near the end of the level. And I got to, I got there on my first time playing it. Oh, wow. That's impressive. So we, we, we were very good at Donkey Kong Country games by that point. Yeah. I I guess if you've weaned yourself on DKC2 first, yeah, that, Mm -hmm. that, that does make sense. But yeah. So yeah, like I, 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 I was like fully like this, like towered over everything in my life fandom wise donkey kong at this point and summer 96 getting that nintendo power it, it was the nintendo power for their their e3 96 issue and it had mario on the cover for super mario 64 and i remember just diving into it like nervous like like did they announce the next donkey kong game did is it in here give me donkey kong land 2 at least because at this point i was like it's been about a year since donkey kong land came out they haven't announced donkey kong land 2 is something wrong (laughs) you know i i i I was starting to doubt my grand plan you know that this like trilogy of you know this like duology of trilogies like was this actually going to happen and it, and that makes a lot of sense too because like at that point like the, in 1996 I remember very distinctly feeling like this point where it's like well the Game Boy is probably on its last legs that thing that thing predated co- like me being cognizant that it seemed it seemed completely prehistoric to me and I remember magazines talking about how well you know the Game Boy's the successor will probably come out any time now the Virtual Boy had come out so like you said that 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 seemed like it, it might put a damper on it. Uh, of course, unbeknownst to us, Pokemon had already launched, but... Right, right, exactly. And, and the Game Boy had many, many years left. I remember reading about Pokemon and Nintendo Power before it was, you know, it even had a release date in the West, and they still called it Pocket Monsters then, because uh, that's how 
they assumed they were going to bring it over here as just pocket monsters. They weren't going to do the the Pokemon branding. But I remember just thinking, that sounds like a really cool idea for a game. It would, it's a shame we don't have it here. I'd love to stand in Route 1 for 50 or 60 hours raising up a, raising up a Blastoise. <laughs> so... Anyway, yeah, like <laughs> I, I, I thumbed through that Nintendo Power and I landed on the page that had the, 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 like, I, I guess maybe half page article on Donkey Kong Land 2, Diddy's Conquest, as they called it then. And I remember, like, my heart stopped and I was like, there it is, Donkey Kong Land 2, it exists. <laughs> and I remember being momentarily like the, this little pang of pain. Because they called it Donkey Kong Land 2 Diddy Kong's Quest. And I was like, oh. is this just Donkey Kong Country 2 but on the Game Boy? But that wasn't Donkey Kong Land. And, and I was still really excited and intrigued. And I, I, but I was like disoriented because it wasn't what I was expecting. And um, a- after like I fully absorbed it as much as I could, just learning about a new Donkey Kong game... I just casually like flip back a page or two and then bam, there was a render of Dixie Kong and it said mm-hmm. Donkey Kong Country 3 and my world exploded. <laughs> and I remember feeling a little bit of disappointment for that because they were just doing the the sidekick promotion thing again. Like I wasn't expecting Donkey Kong Country 3 to just do it again. Like, like, I see, interesting. Yeah, like I ultimately, of course, I was extremely okay with it but you're thinking okay well Donkey Kong Country 3 will bring back Donkey Kong and maybe have Diddy Kong and I don't know maybe Dixie will also be playable somehow like they're not going to get rid of Dixie but I I, I don't know how they're going to do it but like learning that they're just doing that sidekick promotion again I was like are they running out of ideas um which is a silly thing because it's an entirely new way to play the game, you know, just like Donkey Kong Country 2 was. But ultimately, I, I was pumped. And, and it didn't take me but, like, two minutes to get on board with it, right? Like, oh, okay, okay, it's Dixie's game. Diddy's not in it. Donkey's not in it. But that's fine. And there's this mysterious new Baby Kong who, in the Nintendo Power article, they didn't give him his name. They, they, they didn't say it was Kitty. And I don't think he was named that rare at, like, press time so they they just didn't provide that information so i was like baby kong what's he going to be called dinky kong which but they did have a render of him right no there was no Uh render of him there there was nothing but screenshots of him in that article and there's a render of dixie from donkey Kong country 2 but no renders of kitty so yeah um there, there was there was the screenshot of kitty riding Ellie the elephant, which was exciting. It's like new elephant animal buddy. Because this was also like a big part of this hype cycle, having already had Donkey Kong Country 2 to sort of set the standard of what a Donkey Kong Country sequel could be. It, it was basically like the, the next few months were doggedly trying to figure out what Kongs would be coming back, what animal buddies would be coming back, if there would be any new ones. And also, the same game, Donkey Kong Country 2, uh, speculation centered around where it would take place in the geography of the ever-expanding Rare Archipelago. So, yeah, like, like I already had DKC 2 to sort of, like, show me, well, you're not going to have every character come back. Like, because 
going into DKC2, I just assumed the five animal buddies, or at the very least the four playable ones, would be back. And I, I assumed Cranky, Funky, and Candy would all be back. Like, I didn't think they would be like, okay, well, we're swapping Candy out for Wrinkly Kong, and here's Swanky Kong. And uh, Winky and Expressor are getting sign-lined in favor of Radley and Squitter, and here's Clapper and Glimmer. Squats is getting promoted. Like, that, that, that was whole... That that was a whole thing, a whole like earth shattering revelation unto itself that you you can switch up the um, the roster of, of characters. And so going into Donkey Country Three, I was expecting probably even more of that than DKC Three delivered. Like, do, do you think Swanky's going to be back? No, I I, I don't know what <laughs> use they would have for Swanky. Uh, do you think Candy will be in this one, or it's going to be Wrinkly again? Stuff like that, you know. Are, are they going to introduce a new Kong? Like, Cranky's brother was my favorite um, pitch around this time. Well, they might introduce <laughs> Cranky's brother. I don't know why I was hung up on Cranky having a brother, but yeah. Well, my, um, again, to talk about our the the, the, par- the sort of parallel experiences we were having, uh, mine, mine was Donkey Kong Country 3 was the first Donkey Kong hype cycle that I got to be a part of, but it, yeah. but it was quite different from yours. Because um, I have never known a world without the internet. Uh, my mom, <laughs> <laughs> I, I like, I grew up having the internet in my house well before I or most other people even knew that what it was. Um, this was uh, this was before the World Wide Web, so <laughs> that's quite different. But my uh, my mom ran a business. Like basically installing bookkeep computerized bookkeeping software, or just doing bookkeeping for local businesses uh, in the eighties, and because of that, like yeah, when I was born, we had you know computer. We always had computers around. We always had modems around and 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 dot matrix printers. Um, and by the time you know, I talked earlier about nineteen ninety six, the summer of ninety six being the peak of my childhood obsession with Donkey Kong. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> like that and and right at that same time uh was about the time that I was sort of becoming aware of this whole internet thing <laughs> that 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 we that we that we had apparently just always had. But you know, the internet of course at that time was all text based, so it's not like I could have realistically participated in it too much younger than that anyway. Right. But I remember uh, we'd gotten AOL the previous fall, and I, I was spending a lot of time on the AOL uh, Nickelodeon uh, keyword Nick portal. <laughs> uh, that was kind of my first. I didn't, you know, again, I, I, I for, for for quite a while there, I knew about AOL, I knew about its channels, but I was I didn't understand that there that that was a walled garden, and then there then that there was a whole world wide web out there. Right, so, but. Uh, of course, as as you and I have talked about, and as has been talked about many times before in the conversation, we I I, I very distinctly remember discovering AOL keyword Nintendo with that uh that wonderful render of of Diddy Kong jumping the gate outside of a factory, mm-hmm. and that that portal like the the way the way that these things were organized in those days wasn't particularly uh 
it, it wasn't especially well structured. Nobody really knew how to organize information on the internet. So I would just, I remember there was this like repository of Nintendo press releases and it just seemed like it was this like window that would pop up and you'd scroll, you'd, you'd like scroll down and it just seemed to go on forever. And of course, you know, I was what, like seven years old at the time. So it all, it was all just a bunch of jargon to me for the most part, but you know, being so obsessed with Donkey Kong, knowing there was a one, knowing there was a two, knowing there was a land one, knowing there was a land two, purely on a whim, I clicked the search bar at the bottom of this of this thing, and I very slowly hunt and pecked out on the keyboard, because I, I was not very good at typing either, but I very slowly typed Donkey Kong Country 3, <laughs> and that press release came up. Oh, wow. And that was the first time I ever learned about an upcoming game release via the internet. Wow, that's that's exciting, and that's such a that's just such a tactile way to discovery too. Just searching for the name. Oh God, I was so hyped! I <laughs> I immediately like logged off of the internet, like ran down the street. I might have printed the press release out. I don't yeah. remember, but I ran down the street and started furiously knocking on the door of, of those brothers down the down the road. <laughs> like, guys, guys, Donkey Kong Country 3 is happening. See. But I was I was just so excited. And what's frustrating is that like the the year before we were on the AOL free trial, and then I, I've mm-hmm. talked about this how my dad was like, this isn't worth it. We're we're it, it ties up the phone line. You won't need this. We're getting rid of this. This whole thing's just a fad. It's very, very boomer energy, you know, sure. uh, of uh, <laughs> of my my parents around this time. But so so 1996, this whole window of time for Donkey Kong Country Three, what was like when I was offline, um, for the most part, and I, I was relying on magazines. But this is mm-hmm. when I was really seeking out any information I could find on Donkey Kong Country 3 because Nintendo Power was still covering DKC3, but they wouldn't shut up about the N64. And I, I was desperate to get any information I could because my obsession had been ratcheted up several notches more than it had even the previous year with DKC2 hype. And like a month after... um that this reveal of DKC3 and DKL2, we got another issue where they ran this little little blurb about the brothers bear. Like the like Donkey Kong 3 is gonna have bears. And and you're gonna have to talk to the bears and solve their problems and trade with them. And I was like, bears? Talking bears? <laughs> it and it like it was also like this very discombobulating thing because my understanding of the world of Donkey Kong had no room for talking bears before this, but the more I processed it, the more I fell in love with it. And so all of a sudden I was really into bears. (laughs) (laughs) So I I, I can remember like that flip switching in my head. It's like, I like bears. And I think it's the very (laughs) first time in my life where I really embraced that because when you're a kid, and when you grow up in a in a very traditional like, um, you're 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 raised as a boy, and you're you have all this like boy coded stuff pushed on you. Um, no matter how much you might be into it yourself, 
you you get to this point where you hit a certain age and you're like, I don't want to associate with bears because that's teddy bears. That's something for babies, right? And so you push away all bear imagery, right? You're like, you're not thinking like bears are awesome. <laughs> bears live in the forest and they kick ass. You don't think like in those terms when you're a kid because you want to be seen as uh, a sophisticated consumer of appropriate media, right? No, I, I I do distinctly remember that that sort of uh, the year leading up to turning thirteen, just kind of getting that feeling about a lot of things. Like, well, I'm too old for this, though. This is yeah. beneath me. Which is so stupid, but that's the way you are taught to to perceive things, and that's the way like peer pressure. Like everybody else is also going through that, and then they will use peer pressure, you know, against you if you don't conform. So, man, I, I have this. I have a very clear memory of like being in second grade. Like that starts way before I, th- or at least it did for me. That that sort of peer pressure starts way before you even like are even close to being a teenager. I remember being in second grade and trying to talk to other kids about Sonic and Donkey Kong and that sort of thing, and they'd just be like, "Oh, that stuff's for babies. We want to talk about Doom and Mortal Kombat." I'm like, "Aren't we? Won't there be time for that sort of thing later?" Well, and we we brought this up before discussing Power Rangers. How I I was peer pressured into not watching it because, oh, of course, yeah. I, I was too old for it because that's for babies. And I mean, this is like a show about like, uh, like martial arts and, and kicking people in the head, kick, kicking, kicking putty monsters in the head. And I think everybody secretly wanted to watch it. Everybody secretly wanted to be all about it, but we were just peer pressuring each other into not indulging us and to not like, you know, no, no, can't do it. Can't do it. So childhood is stupid. Is, is what I'm yeah. saying, because we deprive ourselves of our base wants and, and stuff that is harmless and stuff that would bring us joy. But e- either we deprive ourselves of it or we keep it secret. Right. Like, um, so I, I, I definitely, definitely can relate. But yeah, like all of a sudden bears for the first time in my life, I was like, they're kind of, they're kind of, they're kind of awesome. They're kind of like. <laughs> The primates of the forest, uh, not including Sasquatch, but, you know, like, j- just something that was, like, um, a tangible thing, like, in my neck of the woods. Like, I couldn't just go out into the forest and see a monkey or a gorilla, but I could potentially go out and see a bear. And that was a game changer for me, Josh. <laughs> so. <laughs> oh, yeah, that- we, we occasionally had bear sightings around here. Yeah, so I mean, but but that what that really did was it made the nature of Donkey Kong Country sort of accessible to me, and so I, I remember that summer being out in the woods, being out in the forest, um, on these like family excursions, and just thinking about the Brothers Bear, and just thinking about <laughs> Donkey Kong Country 3 and just imagining I was in this 3D version of Donkey Kong Country 3 i.e. reality and that that really like just amped up the um the hype cycle because I could now associate things in my proximity w- w- with Donkey Kong Country 3 and yeah I was like buying all the magazines I could find I would thumb through them in grocery store, like, newsstands, you know, like, 
um, the magazine racks. I would pick up all the video game magazines. And, and if there was anything about Donkey Country 3, I would convince my mom I would have to get this magazine. And then I would take I would, ma- I would – being a little younger when this was still acceptable – I, I I could get away with just kind of camping out. I would sit on the floor of the <laughs> aisle in front of the magazines and just read them the entire time my parents were grocery shopping. Oh, I would do that, but I would also have to buy them. You know, yeah. I, because I would have to take the information home with me. And mm-hmm. I remember how exciting it was because the first screenshot I saw of Funky's rentals, not the interior, but just the overhead view. I guess this was the first screenshot I saw of the map screen of DKC3 was in mm-hmm. one of these third-party magazines that might have been Electronic Gaming Monthly, but I got it at a Toys R Us in Charlottesville, Virginia, and I took it with me and, you know, bought it, but I took it with me and, and I remember like, oh my, Funky's Rentals. And I was convinced <laughs> it was on the backside of Hong Kong Island because I was like, this, this there could be no other location where this would be. <laughs> just, <laughs> I just... It, such a such you were a, real into the back into the idea of of what's on the back of DK Island until Donko sixty four smothered it out of me. Which, oh yeah, I remember. It? Even in that hype cycle, <laughs> you're talking about it on DK Vine. Finally, what's on the back? And it's just like, oh yeah, it's just it's just an empty emptiness. It's just a waterfall and nothing else. And but at Don- least it's not half a castle, <laughs> right? Right. <laughs> Talk about disappointments in 1996. So, <laughs> yeah, like, between that and Donkey Kong Land 2, the day I learned that Wrinkly Kong would be in Donkey Kong Land 2, a Kong helper in Donkey Kong Land 2, oh my god, I was so excited. I was so excited. That was the day I got my contact lens lenses for the very first time. Because um, I went to the optometrist for the... For the um, contact fitting and i had to learn how to put the contacts in and that was a whole ordeal because you're taught not to stick your fingers in your eyes for the longest time and then all of a sudden you got to stick your fingers in your eyes but i had the nintendo power in the car showing off kong college and donkey kong and you could see clearly for the first time (laughs) and it it was oriented slightly differently and i was like this is the coolest thing (laughs) (laughs) and and i got back to the car wearing the contact lens the uh, the like the trial pair of contact lens and i was like looking at kong college slightly more flat than it was like the the circular orientation on super nintendo it was the coolest thing josh now this is this is really cool because like you know to me as somebody who like got into it when i did and um you know like i said by the time i got done by the time by the time we got done with dkc2 you know, Land 2 was out, and and DKC3 was on the horizon. So the way that you, like, considered, like, what these games that you didn't know much or anything about, like, what they were going to be like is very fascinating. Because, you know, I, I don't really remember a version of the Donkey Kong franchise that didn't already have DKC, DK Land 1 and 2 in it. Yeah. But it just makes, it makes so much sense, like having played DK land and going off of that, like you'd have very different expectations on what, on what a sequel to that game would be like than what, of course, you know, Donkey Kong land two actually was. And I think that's what really helps fuel a hype cycle is having that basis already Mm -hmm. in in your head and then building off of it from there. And and that's why I I think that summer of 96 type cycle was the most tantalizing 
all, all, all hype cycles considered, you had both Land 2 and Country 3. So you had so much pre-existing precedent and you could really just go off in myriad of directions mentally from there. But like, I remember before learning about Donkey Kong country three, my, um, you know, like, like, like you said, like you, these things come in trilogies and you, you kind of on some level expect that, uh, even, even at that point. So I, I was pretty sure there was going to be a DKC three at some point, um, I thought it, I, I, I figured it would be for the Super Nintendo just because, you know, the N64 was, was just going to come out. So I figured we'd get one more on the Super NES. And, but I did think that like the, the, the two things I wanted, I was expecting it to be the same thing as DKC2 where the, the sidekick character in the last game becomes the star of this one. And I was totally fine with that. That's, that, that was the main thing I was expecting, but there was always this thought in my head because um, Sonic and Knuckles had come out the previous fall, and I didn't, like we talked about earlier, I didn't have any any indication. The way that was presented to me, I just kind of figured, okay, well, this game is a new game unto itself, but it has this lock-on technology that lets you plug other games into it, and now you can play as Knuckles in the past Sonic games. And I didn't really understand like why that had happened, or that that, was, that would have been very proprietary and difficult to program. Uh-huh. So my hope was, my, my, my pie-in-the-sky dream was, Donkey Kong Country 3 comes out, and it is also a lock-on cartridge, and now I can take... Now you basically I can play as like DK, Diddy, and Dixie in all three Donkey Kong Country games. <laughs> right, even though like games, any combination of them. Even though the games are not designed for any of that, and and exactly, Dixie exactly. would just completely break Donkey Kong Country. Yeah, but it, it's funny that that want of the lock on cartridge definitely was with me as well because as a Nintendo kid, I saw that and I was like, that is the coolest shit ever. Oh, it was. Yeah. I I I desperately want a lock on cartridge for Nintendo and yeah, even things like, Oh, well, Banjo Tooie's obviously got to be a lock on cartridge, right? Like there's no other way they could pull off what they're talking about. Oh, Oh, I remember reading the speculation center about it. And that being, that being one of the things that, that, that you brought up, like, okay, maybe it'll be a lock on cartridge. Like I remember <laughs> seeing the, the Banjo Tooie cartridge for the first time and being like, okay, this is it. Is it, it well, well, it's just a regular cartridge, huh? How yeah. is this going to work? Right, right. Just, oh, so much, so much disappointment there. But yeah, it's just funny. Like you're, you're talking about DK Vine um, when, when that was in existence, like in the year 2000 and I, I'm here thinking about the summer of 96 when I was imagining communicating with fellow Donkey Kong fans like around the country or or even the world. But I mean, it was it was the mid 90s. So I wasn't even thinking like globally yet like that, that 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 was like pie in the sky, like beyond any any reasonable capacity. But I was like, what what if I had a newsletter where I could communicate with with Donkey Kong fans and we, we could like I, I could like. Where does Donkey Kong Country? This article is about where DKC three takes place. Here's all the evidence we have so far, and just just rolling this stuff over in my head, and just the 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 embers of what would become this, what what mm-hmm, we're doing mm-hmm. right now. It's just like it, it it really started in that summer where my hype was just unsatiable. I just had to, I had to talk about it. I had to like 
speculate about it, but I had no avenue to get it out, right? So Right. <laughs> and then that brings us to the next major hype cycle, which was very different for the two of us. And this this was a very short hype cycle, at least for me, but it was a very lively, impactful one nonetheless. And it was, of course, 1997 for Diddy Kong Racing. So this one... For me, it, it it kicked off in, what, late September, early October 1997, and kind of culminated in release in late November 97, the, the week of U.S. Thanksgiving. So th- this was just a, like, a out of nowhere, like, are you kidding me? C- kind of, like, experience. But th- this, of course, mattered so much because it birthed the DKU like from this point on it wasn't just the Donkey Kong series or Rare's Donkey Kong series it was the Donkey Kong universe and because of that in some ways this wasn't just a hype cycle for this one racing adventure game that was coming out of nowhere on the N64 it was one that also looped back and ensnared both Banjo-Kazooie and Conqueror's Quest both of which been announced at E3 1997 in Atlanta, Georgia, earlier that summer. And, of course, I, I was consuming media, information about both of those, on the off chance that they would somehow be connected to Donkey Kong, because, like I said, in, in this episode we did last year about um, Banjo-Kazooie and Conqueror's Quest in the summer of 97, Banjo-Kazooie started a bear that kind of looked like a brother's bear. Mm-hmm. There, 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 there might have been some sort of connection going on there, and so, so that being said, once it was confirmed that hey, Banjo and Conquer are debuting in Diddy Kong Racing, then that meant I, w- I was rapidly consuming any magazine article I could find on these three games. Um, e- even after Diddy Kong Racing came out, like that hype for Banjo and Conquer was still just all consuming so th- this this was this was a shorter hype cycle but it was one that actually stretched into the hype cycle for banjo kazooie for me yeah for me um it's interesting i remember you know i said earlier i played donkey kong country i rented it around the time it was released i didn't have the context to like really appreciate or understand it <laughs> at that yeah. point um you know, we talked. You mentioned earlier how, in the summer of '96, every time you picked up a magazine, you 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 would pick it up and you would look for Donkey Kong news. Right. And but a lot of what what they wanted to talk about was so laser focused and so hyped and so much excitement for the Nintendo 64. Or if it was a third party magazine, not Nintendo Power, uh, the PlayStation, or or yeah. like the Saturn. And I was like, what the, what the hell is the PlayStation? Like, <laughs> I, I, I've talked about this, how the PlayStation just felt like one of those weird, like, consoles you would hear about, but none of your friends would ever have. And you just think it's just going to just go away. And, and it has, like, actual no, like, doesn't actually have any resonance. Like, the 3DO or, or, or the Dragwire, you know, st- stuff like that. Like, 
I don't know anybody who has that. Like that's not a yeah. And and that was that thing. was doubly true for me as as still being a, an elementary schooler at that time, because a lot of the PlayStation's biggest hits, especially early on, like Resident Evil, weren't the kind of things that would normally appeal to kids. Right, so like exactly. It's very much like what the GameCube generation describes like a decade, like, well, I guess less than a decade, more like six or seven years after this, where from their perspective, them and everyone they knew played and loved the GameCube. And they didn't really have the context to be like, okay, well, this thing is actually kind of struggling. This thing is, you know. Yeah, yeah, because in your world, it it is king, right? Right, right. Yeah, so the PlayStation was always weird going through those third-party magazines because it was like going into this alternate timeline, this alternate universe where it's like – why are you talking about the PlayStation? Who cares? No, nobody has this thing. Uh, you know, I, I can do a head count of like 12 people. I know nobody has a PlayStation. <laughs> all right. right. And, and, uh, eventually of course that reality, that, that, that falsehood kind of crumbled as the nineties progressed. And you were like, Oh, I, I for guess me, the- it was more like nobody has a PlayStation except for that one mean teenager at the bottom of the hill. <laughs> the bottom of the hill i i I love how like you you live in some sort of like 1980s spielbergian suburbia (laughs) i I don't know i don't know what what i'm picturing childhood josh but but your neighborhood is very like idyllic and and, like i i don't know um but yeah like um just, just yeah just just that that alternate reality. I, I think it was ninety seven where it started to dawn on me that hey, the PlayStation is actually doing all right and it's going to stick around. Mm-hmm. Yeah, same here. Because even the third party magazines, like Next Generation magazine, that I would read, were still super fucking hype for Mario sixty four. And you know, we've talked about before how we were the way it was portrayed to us. And I, I think you were the one that said this, and this this really resonated with me because it's exactly how I felt. The N64 was going to be so magical and so powerful and so capable that it was the it was probably just going to be the last video game console we would ever need because oh, yeah. <laughs> this like you, you it could not get any better than this. So you know I brought I brought up earlier how I didn't have context for Donkey Kong Country and you said I could bring up non DKU games and this sure. this ties into Banjo for sure. I realized just the other day that I was at the perfect intersection of ages when Super Mario 64 came out. I was young enough that all of the, that that it would hit me in that sort of like unknowable, magical, guaranteed to be nostalgic, formative way that like things can only hit you when you are below a certain age. But I was also old enough and I'd, followed the industry through magazines and through the internet enough that I had the context to understand what a revelation it really was. Yeah. And Banjo-Kazooie, so it was very easy, therefore, because that's how I felt about Mario 64, it was very easy for me to see, you know, I I, I don't remember exactly when Banjo-Kazooie was first revealed, but I remember knowing about it for what seemed like a very long time. Um... Like you said, well before Diddy Kong Racing was ever was ever known to us, we knew we knew, and I think we had screenshots of Project Dream. So it, you know, all the magazines really had to say was like, "This is a 3D platformer. It's from Rare. It's published by Nintendo. 
And it's sort of going to be like Rare's version, Rare's take on what Mario 64 was doing. And that was all I needed. Like I was instantly going to be looking forward to that. Yeah, whereas me, I was like, why isn't this Donkey Kong? And mm-hmm. there there was that element of, <laughs> like, f- fandom warring that, that, you know, I brought up earlier in this episode where, you know, for example, what, what Donkey Kong fans went through um, from from a certain contingent of, of Metroid absolutist when, yeah, sure. or, or, or sure. at the very... Or at the very least, uh, angsty Nintendo fans who felt like they had something to prove when Tropical Freeze was announced. But for me, that was just like Banjo-Kazooie. Uh, uh, no, why aren't you making 3D Donkey Kong? That's what's going to sell. That's what you need to be doing, Rare. And of course, you know, I don't know anything at this point. Like, you, bringing up, like, did you know Rare? What, like, was separate from Nintendo, like, in 94, 95. And it, it was that Donkey Kong Land issue of Nintendo Power that showed off Donkey Kong Country 2, at least in print for the first time, where I really learned about Rare because they had an article where they went to Twycross and talked to the stampers. And, and that really is where I started to learn, like, Rare was this, this wholly separate studio that were the, the brain trust behind Donkey Kong Country that Nintendo, you know, might have some oversight, might have some suggestions, but they're not really making it. And, um, and, and then that being said, I still viewed Rare as this hive mind, like, like this, this R- Rare is doing everything. Rare is making these games. Rare, like, obviously there are people, names you would recognize in the credits, but you're not thinking in terms of, well, this is the Greg Mayles team. Uh, sure, of course And not. then over here we've got the uh, Diddy Kong Racing team. We've got the conquer team which was the killer instinct team we've you know you, you, you don't know that stuff yet e- even though you like you might see like the credits of Donkey Kong country 3 and see a lot of different names than you saw in dkc2 you're not thinking like in terms of oh okay this team went on to do something else like it's just it's just rare it's just rare um the, the magic of rare and so like i i i had this like hostility towards Banjo and Conker, even though I did have that ember of hope that they would somehow, didn't even call it DKU at the time, but that they would be DKU. And then Diddy Kong Racing was just this magical moment where like my hopes were were justified. Where, okay, yeah, okay, we're, we're introducing Banjo and Conker as Diddy's friends. Here you go. Yeah, I don't, I don't think I really had... I knew, I understood that, like, Rare was this this development house, I suppose, that was making all of these games. I don't think I really had the context at that point, or, or like, the understanding of game development, maybe, to be like, okay, th- because they're making Banjo-Kazooie, that might mean that they're not currently making a 3D Donkey Kong game for the N64. But I think it was also just because Rare's output in that at that point time was so like they were firing on so many cylinders it seemed like there was nothing they could not do you know right and when you talk about how hitting the 3d era the n64 really like marked the slowdown of of game development you didn't really feel it under rare like yeah like things would would struggle a bit in development like donkey Kong 64 would go through its different iterations behind the scenes conquer of course but they were still releasing 
multiple games, um, you know, with with a few exceptions every year. But but I re- I remember really when I really truly became aware of rare and like got a better idea of what they were was probably when GoldenEye came out. And I think it, it was because that was the N64 game that appealed to the sort of to to the 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 age group and the demographic who was making a lot of noise on the internet, who was right who was doing game journalism at that time. Yeah. And so at, at like at that point that was that was where rare really started to get like get a lot more distinction in my mind because of that because that became how they were portrayed. Right. Yeah, exactly. Gun toting Retro, <laughs> Retro net. net, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, which is what we called Rare Net, the biggest rare fan site when DK Vine was just starting out, and and they and they, where are they now? Where are they now? No, they 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 <laughs> they very clearly their interests lied in the Golden Eye and Perfect Dark sort of realm, and and we very much thought they weren't giving a fair shot to the. 3D platformers starring googly-eyed animals, and um, and, and so we were like, well, we're going to be that, and we're going to destroy them, <laughs> uh, which, which is so stupid, because, you know, nowadays all the rare fan sites are friends, like, like we're, of course, we're, um, and, and I'm sure there are, like, people, like, running, I, 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 I don't know, like, uh, Reddit subreddits or something where they're like we're gonna destroy dk vine because we're the old (laughs) stodgy you know standbys who like refuse to evolve but um i guess that would be all rare fandom these days though unless you're like just exclusively in a sea of thieves but anyway um yeah but you learned about diddy kong racing before me josh like if we were friends back then you would have been the one who would have broken the news to me because I totally would have been. I would have printed out the press release and run down the street <laughs> yeah. and started yelling at you through the window. You would have run across state lines. Yeah, until exactly. You... <laughs> so, yeah, because I didn't learn about Diddy Kong Racing until Nintendo Power did the, like, last-minute stop-the-presses article on it. Because, holy shit, all of our plans for the holiday season are changing. Banjo is delayed. Diddy Kong Racing has taken its place. We have to start the hype train ASAP for this game. Um, quick, let's do a quick article on it. And they even had like that. Um, I think it was like the the issue for what was the game Extreme G? Yeah, there was def- that was definitely a cover. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they had this uh, like at the very top of the cover. They said. Um, Something like introducing Diddy Kong Racing with like zero context. You can tell it's like last minute. Like we got to throw something on there to hook people. And yeah, we've learned from the development stories of these games that yeah, it actually was pretty damn last minute. Yeah, like like we we we've talked about Diddy Kong Racing and its story development, but just how quickly the Diddy Kong Racing we know fell into place from E three ninety seven when Rare showed it behind closed doors to Nintendo to the autumn uh, or, or late summer to autumn of 97 when it was geared up to be Nintendo's biggest holiday game. And you can tell like all the compromises that were being made to accommodate this because it was Nintendo's big holiday game and it was not being published by Nintendo. It was being published by Rare. All Nintendo had was the the name Diddy Kong Racing they licensed to Rare and the characters Diddy banjo and crunch 
mm-hmm. which Nintendo had uh, trademarks on Crunch because he was a Kremlin uh, and Banjo because Banjo-Kazooie was a game they were publishing. So it was just this cacophony of, okay, that's fine. That's fine. We, we, we just have to have this big game because we have nothing for Holiday 97. No, I, I remember very distinctly. Um, by 1997, I was spending just ludicrous amounts of time on the internet. I yeah. understood I understood what the World Wide Web was. I knew how to use it. I knew how to find stuff on it. I was getting better at typing. Uh, still still <laughs> kind of working on it. I, I could only interact with other people so much. But for better and for worse, I definitely grew up on and with the internet. Um, I remember AOL had this thing where when you logged off, it would show, it would have like a little sign off dialogue box telling you how long you had been connected. (laughs) And by the summer of 97, this was regularly going up to like above 250 minutes or more for me. So I I was, I was spending a ludicrous amount of time on the internet. And I remember I I can't say for sure that it was that it was the same day because it was so long ago and I was I was very little, but I definitely remember reading there. Like I remember when the news broke that Nintendo had revealed or was going to reveal Diddy Kong Racing. I found a news article from IGN that was posted on August twenty sixth, nineteen ninety seven. And it says, N64.com discovered today that Nintendo's surprise game is Diddy Kong Racing and received indisputable confirmation that Rare's Banjo-Kazooie will be delayed until March 1998. And then, of course, it would get delayed again. <clears throat> but they said three separate industry sources told them that Nintendo will publish Diddy Kong Racing. Oh. So, little little bit off there. Yeah. But yeah, it was it was definitely always it was it was absolutely always known and understood that ban- that at the same time banjo's getting delayed this game is getting revealed yeah uh this 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 thing and this is this is actually before nintendo actually revealed it um they it looks like they revealed it maybe the next day yeah their first impressions were posted the next day oh wow so th- this is them talking about their inside sources or some sort of a basically somebody had told them this was happening. Yeah, yeah. But this, but even this little blurb says Diddy Kong Racing will ship on November twenty fourth of this year. Parenthesis, the same date that Banjo Kazooie would have shipped. Right, right. Yeah, and they said this was based on retail sources. So yeah, I and I, I believe I can't remember if I saw any screenshots of it at this time. Screenshots. On the internet in 1997, were still still a little <laughs> bit hard, harder to come by, uh, yeah. especially from, I guess, non-direct first-party sources. But yeah, I I I learned about Diddy Kong Racing, if not the very day it was revealed, then right around that same time. Yeah, like I I I I think maybe it was more impactful the way I learned it then about Diddy Kong Racing with this big double page spread in Nintendo Power with all of these screenshots. Oh, for sure, yeah. Very colorful. And then, of course, it's not spoken. Like, they don't make any reference to it in the article, but that roster screenshot showing Banjo and Conker there. And, of course, both of those characters 
are like imprinted in my brain the amount of time I've spent analyzing them that summer, like looking mm-hmm. for any connection to Donkey Kong, and then here they both are. I recognize them even in these like low poly forms. Like there they are. And and I'm just like, oh my god, Banjo Kazooie is delayed, and we're getting Diddy Kong Racing, and 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 Banjo is debuting in Diddy mm-hmm. Kong Racing, and you know what that means. And and then I start like espousing my like sitcom shared universe philosophy to like <laughs> anybody within earshot. But this was very exciting and very validating, and and like going into like holiday 97 you're thinking we're not gonna get anything like you're you're hyped about donkey kong land 3 but i don't think i'm gonna get anything that year like this is the first year this is the first summer summer 97 where i don't really have much to to like chase like i i they announced donkey kong land 3 at that e3 but they didn't show any screenshots in nintendo power so I, I was just like, Donkey Kong Land 3 has been announced, but I don't have anything to go off of. And So, so really, yeah, until Diddy Kong Racing, because, you know, Banjo-Kazooie was going to, was going to be in, the, in that Donkey Kong Country, you know, late November spot yeah. for that year. But until Diddy Kong Racing, like, are, yeah, it, you, it's not that you were completely not inter- uninterested in Banjo-Kazooie, but you just didn't see it on that same level. Right, because it, it was kind of like this other Rare property where, of course, I was interested in Rare, but it was like Killer Instinct level, where it's just like, I'll, I'll probably enjoy it, and probably enjoy it more so than Killer Instinct, because Killer Instinct's a fighting game and this is a 3D platformer, but it's not my series. I was I was much more excited about it about it than you about Banjo at that point than I think you were, um, and partially because like to me Killer Instinct that was the purview of the mean teenagers down the hill like I said <laughs> <laughs> that that wasn't that wasn't my video games you know at least you lived um, up the hill from them so you know yeah they, true they they couldn't get you as easier <laughs> exactly. Um, <laughs> Yeah, but but like then going into Diddy Kong Racing, like I said, it's a very short hype cycle and a bit different in that it was all confined for me into like the month, month and a half before the game actually came out. So I didn't have a lot of time to process it and and, and really speculate about it. It was like, bam, here it is. Bam. Mm-hmm. Here it is. Yeah, even even as a kid it seemed it seemed pretty dang quick. Yeah, and uh what what really sticks out in my mind is how it was but a prelude for the Banjo-Kazooie hype, how both kind of blended into each other. And, and you had Conker as well, but Banjo was, of course, more immediate. Banjo-Kazooie was supposed to come out early 98, which then got pushed to late June 1998. And, and Banjo-Kazooie, once, once I was fully on board with Banjo-Kazooie, and especially once Diddy Kong Racing came out and I got to know Banjo a, a little bit better... Um, and you know all of that, and I, I was, I was really looking forward to Banjo Kazooie because this was the first time that the DKU was truly expanded into a shared universe, and and so this was also a bit of a different timetable than I was used to because instead of the hype cycle being confined to the summer months going into the autumn, going into November. This was now like the winter and spring going into the heart <laughs> of summer, like like the, the the true official start of summer, late June. 
And so all of a sudden, like, it was kind of reversed where I was now having the big game for that year in the middle of summer. That was crazy. Um, so that that was a little bit different. But I, but I remember <clears throat> like pouring over all the information for Banjo-Kazooie. This was still right before I was online. I, I got online later that year, post-Banjo-Kazooie's release. And I, I talked about on the episode we did for the 25th anniversary of Rareware that, you know, I, I discovered Rareware once Banjo-Kazooie came out. And then Elliot, my friend, my childhood friend, and I were trying to find answers to the Ice Key and the eggs. Like, wh- what's about them? And we... We were on his computer, and and his family was on AOL at that point. They'd just gotten on, and so we were able to find Rare's website, which was a huge thing. If you want more details on that, go back to listen to that episode that I did with Cameron. But Yeah, that was a great episode. Um, j- j- Just pouring over all the information about Banjo-Kazooie and Nintendo Power, which, by the way, I was a subscriber to Nintendo Power since late 95 at this point. So this was still my primary source for all Nintendo information. And DKU information, and so 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 for Diddy Kong Racing, then you, I, I'm sure you've talked about this before, but you did get the Hot Topic uh, VHS. I did, I did. Not, I didn't not like the it. mall Hot Topic, but the <laughs> yeah, I I um I did not like that VHS. I felt it was talking down to me. <laughs> that was the first of the Nintendo Power VHSs that I did get. So. Oh, oh yeah. So I I I also gotten the um the one for the N64 a year earlier where they're showing off Super Mario 64 and uh, like Pilot Wings and uh and I remember that was kind of obnoxious but it was still very much geared towards that kind of Gen X like um grunge uh aesthetic. Oh yeah, it definitely was. Similar to the one from 94 with Josh Wolf DKC exposed. Maybe it's funny a... how in those two tapes you can see the cultural difference between, I think, the mid-90s and the late 90s, even just between 96 and 97. Yeah, for for sure, yeah. So going from that N64 one, where they introduced, like, the the, the world's best gamers to play the N64, which was just, you know, <laughs> right. actors or whatever, but you didn't know any better. And then the the next year, it is very much like the late 90s, where, like, the, the backstreet boysification of culture was starting to take effect. And everything was uh, Everything getting... is very intentionally cheesy and saccharine. Yes, and everything's got this more polished sheen to it than it had just a year prior, where everything was still very much extreme. Right. And, and <laughs> um, I tried to do that in the, like, ECW intro voice, and it about damn near wrecked my throat, which, <laughs> while that is hardcore. <clears throat> um, <laughs> but, yeah, you've got, like... Um, then like just everything like like I said every, everybody got a haircut and and started like gelling their hair and frosting their tips and uh, <laughs> wearing polos and and everything just became clean cut in a way that would have been just the complete antithesis of what the '90s were earlier that year and it really bugs me Josh as a certified '90s kid where. 90s nostalgia, I don't know if you've noticed this, but it, whenever they milk 90s nostalgia and, and lean on 90s imagery, they only ever go with the very early 90s, which was effectively the late 80s. Or mm-hmm. they go with the, I, I know very, what you mean. the tail end of the 90s, which was effectively the early aughts. Yeah, like the, entire, the entirety of the 90s did not look like the Save by the Bell intro. Or it did not look like th- this like very like... Um, 
I, I don't, I don't even know how to describe it, but it, it it's like this very like m- turn of the millennium kind yeah, of yeah, like vibe. the Y two K aesthetic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, like the the bulk of the nineties was weird fonts, lots of purples and greens and um, fish eyed lens and. <laughs> For sure. <laughs> like, I, I don't know how to properly express it unless you live through it, but they are selling you a bill of goods for 90s nostalgia that is not accurate to what the heart of the decade was. And it, they, they don't get this wrong with the 80s or, or the aughts. I don't know why the 90s is so hard. Maybe because the fonts are so hard to replicate. I don't know. Well, I think it's also sort of the case that a lot of the reason that – um the imagery of the nineties changed so quickly was because that was the decade where computer graphics went from being, and this, this definitely affected video games big time. Yeah. That's the decade where computer graphics went from being something that like was sort of unknown or was basically in the nineties. If you, if you look at the game, the games that came out in 1990 versus the games that came out in 1999, we went from, like Mega Man Four to Shinmu <laughs> right. in one in less in less than ten years. Right. So, and I I think a big part of like the way that things looked in the nineties, the way that movies looked, the way that advertisements looked, the ways the, the ways that uh the tools that artists had to to create art just went through such a uh, rapid upheaval and overhaul that that's a big part of why, like we said, you can. You can feel such a cultural difference if you live through it, even just between 1996 and 1997. For sure. For sure. Yeah, absolutely. But yeah, just a little pet peeve of mine as somebody who <laughs> lauds the Play It Loud era of Nintendo, primarily just for the associations with Donkey Kong Country. But yeah, 90s nostalgia, it's a very particular thing and it's not being accurately represented. <laughs> so... Trust, trust us. We're certified '90s kids with a Z. With a Z. <laughs> Think about Banjo Kazooie that I remember. The the hype going into it was that yeah, it, it really felt like this huge thing that oh, I'm not waiting till November. I'm gonna get to play this during the summer when I'm off. That's weird. Mm-hmm. And not that I wouldn't play all these games that would be released in November in the summer, but this was brand new, and it was just something to like. This felt like a November game that was coming out in June because it was supposed to be a November game. But the the, the hype for it being the first true like DKU spinoff game, right? I remember the, the big question was not, I wonder if this takes place on the back of Donkey Kong Island. It was, I wonder if this takes place in the Northern Hemisphere. But it, it, the, the big question actually was, I wonder what DKU characters might appear in banjo kazooie other than banjo mm-hmm. so i was like what diddy kong racing characters might show up i wonder if donkey kong will show up and i remember i was convinced that donkey kong would definitely be making a cameo in click clock wood of all things and this is because nintendo power i think it was nintendo power they they coyly hinted that you might be running into some familiar faces in click clock wood <laughs> and and you're like, who could they mean? Well, they obviously they mean Donkey Kong, right? Sure. <laughs> and uh, I I think what they meant was the naughty, <laughs> the 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 beaver 
of Donkey Kong fame that you have to help out in Click Clockwood. But um, yeah, obviously, Tip Top did show up, which was really exciting. Um, that that was, you know, I think that was spoiled for me in Nintendo Power before the game came out, which you don't think of, of, of that in terms of spoilers at that age, at that time, where mm-hmm. if a magazine just tells you before it comes out, well, then that can't be a spoiler. That's part of the hype. At least in my opinion. Um, but yeah. Um, and then, of course, I got the, the John Lovitz VHS tape in the mail. Yeah, you know, weirdly, after getting the Diddy Kong Racing VHS, I did not get the the John Lovitz tape. So I I don't really know the breakdown of it. I think it had to do. I, I don't think Nintendo Power actually mailed them to their subscribers. I think it was Toys R Us. If Toys R Us mm. had your info on file, you might have got the John Lovitz tape. Um, but I do yeah. remember seeing it because Blockbuster. This is also how I'd seen the N sixty four tape. I think it was Blockbuster. Some some movie renting place around us had this deal where they had these tapes and you could rent them for free. Wow. Right? Because they were basically just advertising advertisements for Nintendo. So no, they were Nintendo or Toys R Us or somebody was probably just paying them to 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 stock them and do that. See, here's the thing though, Josh. Uh out of the entirety of 1998, I feel like the Banjo-Kazooie VHS was the highest form of cinema. I consumed that year. <laughs> so advertisement, maybe. Quality work of art, absolutely. <laughs> oh yeah, I'm not saying that to to in any way denigrate the the, the good name of John Lovitz or the Banjo Kazooie VHS. I'm just I'm speculating on why why the movie and why if, why Blockbuster or the mo- or the video rental stores might have been doing this. And of course, like I I love that VHS because one, it didn't have bad acting in it. It, it was it was all narration over footage of the game, and being a media savvy kid, like beyond my years at that time. Which you know, when you're when you're like up uh, on like adult pop culture or or things that like were like decades before your time when you're a kid, you're precocious. It, it's a novelty. When you're that way, when you're in your thirties, then you're old. <laughs> and it sucks. It sucks. Like, oh, like, let me let me talk about uh like stuff that happened 60 years before I was even alive. Well, shut up, boomer. I'm like, no, I just know <laughs> history. Shut up, boomer. I'm not a Listen, boomer. Listen, 90s nostalgia is not being accurately portrayed. And we need to do something about this. Right. I am complaining about my youth, but it, it's completely <laughs> different than when my parents did it. Um <laughs> So, anyway, I knew who John Lovitz was. I knew he was on Saturday Night Live. I knew he was the voice of the critic. Like, I I knew exactly who he was, and I was excited. I recognized that voice anywhere, and I was excited <laughs> they got him for the Banjo-Kazooie VHS tape, because that is validating. That is validating. Dude, I know exactly what you mean. Like, I, I did not know any of that. I don't think I knew who John Lovitz... To this day, I don't think I would know who John Lovitz was if not for DK Vine. But, <laughs> but I do know what you mean, especially at that time, because video games and video game culture was so often still thought of as being as being kiddie stuff. And even right. if it wasn't kiddie stuff, it was so niche. It was so separate from the rest of mainstream culture. So any time that you saw gaming portrayed in even a remotely positive light or having any sort of association with quote-unquote the real world it was exciting and it was validating exactly yeah and 
you know, just just having John Lovitz, this, this figure that I knew of, that I knew was a big deal, even if none of my friends did. Like, I, I, I was the one, like, say, explained to Ellie, this is John Lovitz. And he was like, who? And I was like, <laughs> the critic? What? Hello? <laughs> uh, he was on SNL for several years. What? What's SNL? You know, so I was like, yeah, I, I've never seen it either, but I know of it. Because I read about it in magazines. Because mm-hmm. uh, I, I absorb things like a sponge. Anyway, so yeah, very, very cool, very exciting. And of course, the way that VHS tape started with John Lovett saying like, first, there was Donkey and Diddy Kong. Then Diddy and Dixie. Dixie and Kitty. And you just think in your Mario head Mario like, and Yoshi. Okay, okay, you get the picture. Right. Ignoring the Mario and Yoshi part, you're like, it really helps solidify that Donkey Kong connection to all of this. Like, of course, mm-hmm. this is the next iteration in the DKU. John Lovitz is selling it as such. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, just just that that whole hype going from Diddy Kong Racing to Banjo-Kazooie. It felt like this one long unbroken thing with like that ultimately resulted in two games that, that came out in, in, you know, a year's time that would both go on to shape and redefine my life in numerous mm-hmm. ways. Yeah, I remember years ago, um, I was doing like a countdown of like my top 10 games of 2017. And uh, for my ukulele video on that one, I like there's this 30 second thing at the top where I do a parody of that John Lovitz. I think intro. I remember this. Yeah. And that thing took me because I was like going back and forth between like the 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 VHS and the editing and like figuring out the fonts and figuring out how to time everything exactly the same way. For whatever reason, I just kind of hyper fixated on that on that for way too long. Oh yeah, that those thirty seconds took me like two and a half hours to edit. Isn't that the worst when you <laughs> when you get like so in the weeds on some very small thing, but. For whatever reason, in your brain, that part has to be perfect. That part has to be flawless. And it just completely derails (laughs) your schedule. I hate it. And then, like, the entire rest of the video took me, like, 20 minutes. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, yeah. I've been there. Except I I edit videos much slower. And part of the reason why I don't have as much video content. Unless you back us on Patreon. Mm Mm-hmm. Anyway, yeah. that, That magical time. But, of course, like... All hype cycles would pale, or at least I thought they would, compared to what I want to discuss next. Now, this is a hype cycle, an official hype cycle, that lasted from January 1st, 1999, to November 22nd of that year. 11 months, uh, all told, that were built on a pre-existing three years or so of speculation and ultimately saw the creation of DK Vine as a response. Donkey Kong 64 was both a game that I had been waiting to hear about since 1995, and it was uh, the very first time I followed a game online. This was my like first game on the internet, full-time, mm-hmm. permanently ensconced, on the World Wide Web, from the announcement to the release. Um, th- this is the first time where I wasn't relying on Nintendo Power's hand-me-downs. 
I was getting the news exactly as it broke. Not 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 waiting for some E3 and then the news to get ferried out to me like a month later. No, I was getting it the day it broke. New Year's Day 99. What 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 a huge feeling and out of nowhere too. Like you you by this point you were already conditioned to expect all announcements to happen at E3. Right? Like like that's that's when it happens. You're not really getting anything else. But then that that New Year's we got Donkey Kong 64, Mario Party what was announced as coming out, um Super Smash Brothers. Like just just all of this craziness that that would have such a large impact on our fandom. And, just, and that's just, so strange. Even yeah. even to even today it's so strange that all of this would come out on a holiday. Right. And what what's even weirder is like Smash Brothers they weren't even planning to like release that in the West initially, mm-hmm. but like and stuff like Mario Party, like they already knew about this stuff in Japan, and we didn't know about it, even though we were online. And I'm they, like, they, yeah, they were they were concerned Smash Brothers was going to be too violent. But but I'm like the the idea that there would be this degree of um, separation between the West and Japan when it can't mm-hmm. comes to like game news. Like nowadays, we know exactly everything that's coming out together but like they're like there was like two separate internets then almost like what <laughs> yeah i mean most most games nowadays come out if not the same day then at least within a couple of weeks of each other uh worldwide yeah i just had to do the like anniversary social media post for total tour the other mm-hmm. day and i had to check i was like Okay, it's the 20th anniversary in the U.S., but when did it actually first come out? And it actually first came out in the U.S. It, it beat out, like, Japan and other territories by several months, so... Yeah, that, that, that sort of thing always, always throws me off because my memory is... The way my memory works is extremely chronological. Like, I yeah. I remember, okay, this was happening at this time and then this game came out at this specific time. So especially if it's in a case where, like, a game came out like in in a, a year before uh it came out here like i'll see people on social media being like oh it's the it's the anniversary of the release of i, I don't know um pokemon heart gold and soul silver that was released in 2009 and i'm like what no it wasn't that was 2010 because i so specifically remember where i was and who i was and what i was doing like at these times, it always throws me off if it's something that I personally experienced. Right. And I remember when Pokemon had its 25th anniversary celebrations like two years ago. And I'm like, what are mm-hmm. you talking about? Pokemon's a 1998 game. Exactly. <laughs> because well, because it was to us who experienced that, who right. experienced it that way. Right. So, yeah, I, I, I run into that problem all the time. With me, like it's a very minor one, but Mario Kart 64, of course, came out late 96 in Japan. Mm-hmm. But I, I associate it as the, the early 97 game, which is when we got it. And um, even though the title yeah, screen what says was it, February of 97, I think. Yep, yep. Even though the title screen says, you know, 1996, I'm like, nope. 97 <laughs> and um and of course it's it's married then with diddy kong racing and like the the opposite ends of the calendar you know you got mario kart 64 and then you oh then you got diddy kong racing so yeah those those press releases like the the ig and stuff i was looking at earlier and i think i think even the nintendo power issues like it was unavoidable to like 
you, you they, not even Nintendo could avoid the comparisons that they knew were going to be drawn to, to Mario Kart 64. And indeed, that's what was happening in the press as well. Yeah. Yeah. But but Donkey Kong 64, oh my god. Like, this was, like, talk, talk about, like, where we're at now, right? Like, where we know Donkey Kong is in development, but we don't know. Mm-hmm. We, we know, but we can only know so much. So that doubt starts creeping in. With Donkey Kong 64 was kind of the same way on a much smaller scale, where we knew, obviously, Rare was doing it. It had been rumored even before they actually were working on it. But And, and then when Rareware started up in 98, like, Lee Loveday would just openly talk about it. Um, he, he, like, inscribes, and then I think even in their um, frequently asked questions, like, are you working on Donkey Kong 64? And he's like, of course we are. Uh, we're, just, sure. we're just not ready to talk about it yet. I mean, that op- level of openness is unthinkable today. But uh, it absolutely is, yeah. But I, but I think you you could get away with it at that time because, like, nope, like we were talking about earlier, nobody nobody understood how to leverage the internet or what you could do with it. It really was like you were on like this this like inside track that nobody else really <laughs> knew about. Like, like oh my, like I I'm privy to all this stuff. I'm talking to the L Love Day from the credits. T- to go back to to 1998 movies, it was the Wild Wild West. <laughs> I I do find myself nostalgic. Obviously, I there, there's things I don't miss, like taking four hours to watch a video or <laughs> um, dial up. But I I do miss that kind. Like I, I I think I think it was our own David Thomas Lynch who who put it so succinctly. I miss when the internet was weird instead of racist. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, and now, like, when everybody's online, when it's such a ubiquitous part of our culture and society, it it doesn't have that level of, like, okay, here's the inside club. Yeah, we're working on the new Donkey Kong game. Can't Mm -hmm. tell you about it yet, but don't worry. Wink, wink. Uh, You're not going to get that from Nintendo. Like, you know, it's just not going to happen. So, that 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 hype cycle for DK64, once we saw that first screenshot of Diddy in the minecart with the club-wielding Kremlin, and that that was so cool. Um, yeah, beautiful screenshot, by the way. Absolutely. Like, like, there's a cinematography to it that, that I think is really impressive. Th- those early screenshots for DK64, like, through the spring, they were never lacking for beauty. Like, you mm-hmm. really thought this was going to be the greatest game of all time, just based on the way it looked compared to other N64 games. It, it, it just looked magnificent. And then I, I remember distinctly, like, every time there would be a new screenshot, you would learn a little bit more, but not a whole lot. Because uh, I don't think they really were talking about Donkey Kong 64 that much until we got to the midway point of the year. And and then that's when we really started getting information, like like a traditional hype cycle would be. But we, we were getting screenshots here and there. Like in the spring, we got our first screenshot of Chunky Kong, like devoid of all context of who this character was. It was, <laughs> it was just Chunky Kong, I think the minecart track in um, Fungus Forest. And... Or, or fungi forest. I always I always mix up the two. Uh, but e- easy easy to do. Yeah, but but I I see Chunky Kong. I don't know who Chunky Kong is at this point. I'm like, who the hell is this? Is this is this Kitty Kong? It, did that would have age- been the, that would have been the very natural like like of course that's what you'd think you know. They aged up Kitty Kong, of course, mm-hmm. because it's been 
two years since we've last seen Kitty Kong in Donkey Kong Land 3, of course he's gotten older. Just naturally. Uh, and of course, Donkey Kong 64 would play with time in other ways, like killing off Wrinkly Kong, but we didn't know that at the time. And, um... Yeah, like, I, I remember the summer of 99. And, of course, at this point, this, this is actually a little bit blurry. Like, I, I've got a pretty good memory when it comes to this stuff and, and associating key points of my fandom with other, like, moments in my life that, I, that I'm able to, like, pull from and, and connect. And, oh, well, that happened then because this is, like, like I said, like, the, the – Donkey Kong Land 2 article I read the day I got contact lens for the first time. Mm-hmm. Like, that that's just the way my brain works. But, and it's just very chronologically focused, like, a, a narrative, right? Like, but sure. DK64 is actually harder to draw from in the same way because I was busy helping to co-create DK Vine at the time. And so I was actually busier. I was actually so focused on getting all of that up that everything's kind of a little bit more haphazard and blurry and, and processing all of this stuff through both online. Like this was also the first game I was completely consuming online. Like I was not picking up magazine articles about Donkey Kong 64 because I didn't need to, because I had rareware. I I had Nintendo.com. There was no need. And, and because of that, I don't think things really resonated with me as much as they would have prior to this but like the really cool thing though is that you know despite being so busy that does mean that now you have you you can go back and you can see what you were actually saying about dk64 uh during the hype cycle i refuse to read any of that early nonsense from dk (laughs) vibe no see i love that shit i love like i'm i'm about to get to the point with some of the series that i cover where i can actually show the words that I said at the time and I can kind of react to them. Yeah. I've already done a little bit of that. And yeah. like, I think I, I mean, I get that it's, it's embarrassing in a lot of cases too. I <laughs> for sure. Some of the things I've said, I don't agree with anymore, but at the same time, I think it's really cool to just like have a record of that. Of like this, this is like, I don't even have to speculate on how I felt or what I was thinking. Like, I, I have it here. I can go back and look at it. Josh, you never said that Donkey Kong 64 was the greatest game ever made. So, I... I but I, I did say that Sonic 06's plot was great. Okay. All right. Fair enough. Yeah. Fair there... enough. <laughs> I was about to say you need to check your privilege here, but I <laughs> I, I, I think we're we're in the same boat then. We're, uh, right, yeah. We both have the egg <laughs> on our face. No, what I do remember, though, is I remember going to the beach that summer because uh, that was still like, oh, yeah, uh, you know, I, I'm still basically a kid. Uh, I'm still going to do summer things, like go to the beach with, with my parents before just everything becomes doldrums of work. Um, and qu- qu- Question for 30 for, for a fellow 30 year old. Did you still think of yourself at a, as a kid at that time or do you now just look back and you're like, oh no, I was still, I was still totally a kid. I, so I was very much 
dreading growing up because you think mm-hmm. you, you think you're gonna have to say goodbye to all of this stuff that you still very much like like you're gonna have to put on a suit <laughs> that's and tie. what my dad told me yo. yeah you're gonna have to put on a suit and tie and 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 get life insurance and and worry about things like aluminum siding like oh we really need to replace the aluminum siding this is when you think you're gonna have a house when you don't realize that the uh the american dream has been fully uh salted <laughs> years before you but they're not telling you this um, right. you know, so, so you, you think you're just going to have all of these like stupid boomer concerns that won't really be, won't really matter to you, but also because your generation uh, and the generations that, that come after you are going to realize that it's all stupid nonsense and that we're going to completely eschew what our parents so steadfastly believed. And maybe mm-hmm. there is some validation in some of that, like, but, but you don't have to go all in on being an adult just because you're an adult. It's the same lame peer pressure that we thought, Oh, well I'm a, I'm 12 now. So I can't like this. I can't like the the amount of times that that fucking, when I became a man, I put away childish things. Yeah. (laughs) Like Bible verse was quoted at me. Right. And my parents were not particularly religious, but just in in terms of trying to encourage me to, to grow up and, 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 Put away the video games and focus on things that really matter. Yeah, I I, I know what you mean very I, well. I, I, I got into trouble with with that quote because I was suffering from heat stroke after Bonnaroo and I was in a hotel room and I was reading the hotel Bible for kicks and I came <laughs> upon that passage and I was like, that would be a fun DK Vine social media post because obviously I'm not going to put away childish things. So I, I like... I, I like photograph myself reading that and I photograph myself putting the Bible in the trash, not thinking <laughs> that, you know, it's going to uh, sincerely insult um, Christians of devout faith. I was just making a joke about me being a man child. Sure, sure. Lesson learned. <laughs> Lesson I didn't really have yep. the best social media etiquette until, let's say, 2018 or so. And then I was like, oh, wait, <laughs> wait, I have to be a responsible person spouting stuff online and then I, as i looked at the world burning around me um <laughs> <laughs> that's oh wait the internet isn't just this private clubhouse it's actually everywhere now and people pay attention and and emulate you <laughs> oh okay oh yeah i should be a, a good custodian of of what i put out there anyway so <laughs> yeah but yeah it's it's just all um it's all a bunch of malarkey, isn't it? It just, just like what you like. If you're not hurting anybody, then uh, why are you so concerned? Yeah, and I'm I'm really glad that in the last ten to twenty years, really, you've you've really seen that shift in the culture of like, okay, it is it is totally okay to continue to like quote unquote childish things and to continue to care about the things that you've always cared about. Hey, I I I am uh you know I I I am. Starting to get some gray hair, and uh, I don't know what an IRA is. I don't know, and I don't <laughs> want to know, quite honestly, because I've never seen that bring joy to anybody talking about their IRA. So you know what? <laughs> Not going to worry about it. Not Whatever gonna... it is, we probably can't afford it anyway. Exactly. I don't have the money to invest in my IRA. <laughs> But to bring it all the way back to DK64, this is kind of where our parallel paths uh, diverge, and I mentioned it a little bit earlier in the episode, but by, like, to me, 1999 was really the point where, for whatever reason, 
Well, actually, no, not for whatever reason. I, I I almost said that, and then I realized, no, I know the reason. The N64, and indeed that whole generation, suddenly became kind of old news to me. Old news and 64? It, old news 64. <laughs> not that I wasn't still playing my N64. Not that I wasn't still enjoying it. But I just remember, you know, like Ocarina of Time came out. And that seemed, that really seemed like, and I didn't even at that time like Ocarina of Time all that much. I I saw, I was like, okay, well, everybody says this is a masterpiece, so it must be, but I don't really entirely get it myself. (laughs) (laughs) I always liked Banjo better. (laughs) Wonder I ended up on DK Vine. But, um, but the big reason for that was actually because... I was, by this point, totally swept away in the hype cycle of the Sega Dreamcast. Oh, yeah. And that was the only... I mean, you know, because because the Saturn was what it was, and because I was so young for the Genesis, the Dreamcast was the one and only Sega console that I kind of got to be entirely cognizant for, and that I kind of got to, like, attack my fandom to. So that was where, like, from, from like, mid to late 98 onward, that was where a large majority of my attention was. Because it came out in Japan at the end of 98, and then came out almost a year later, uh, in September of 99, in the, um, in the U.S. Wow, it's so so weird, because I just think of the Dreamcast as, like, the year 2000. Like, I, I, I don't know why. And maybe because I was so focused on Donkey Kong 64 that anything else just didn't matter. Yeah. Because, <laughs> um, yeah, like, I, I, was, I was about to tell you the story. Like, I went to the beach and I, I remember passing a seafood restaurant and it had a – might have been a marlin, but I thought it was a swordfish on the sign. And I, I, and I remember thinking about the screenshot of Cranky's Lab. That was on Rare's website, and you could see the skeleton of a fish behind them that looked like a swordfish or or maybe a marlin. And I remember thinking, "Is Ingard dead?" <laughs> and, and 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 this is the way my hype cycle is manifesting for Donkey Kong sixty four because, like, you you think Donkey Kong sixty four is going to be the biggest, the best, just 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 the the like pinnacle of everything that they've been building to since Donkey Kong Country. So it's going to have the most expansive cast, but not everybody can be in it. And uh, so they're probably going to have to kill off some characters. And I could see Rare doing that. And, and uh, well, it looks like Engard's dead and, and Cranky's got his skeleton <laughs> on the wall. And the thing is, that sounds ludicrous, but like a month later, we learned that Wrinkly was dead. Yeah, it's not, it, was, it would not have been that far out of the realm of possibility. And by the way, I've always loved... When the first time you see Wrinkly in DK64, it's such a shit post. <laughs> She's just like, oh yeah, well, I died since Donkey Kong Country 3. Just to, to totally break the fourth wall in two like that. She doesn't even call it Donkey Kong Country 3. She calls it DKC3. Like, she does, doesn't she? she? My god. She's using, like, industry and fan abbreviations to announce <laughs> that she's died. <laughs> Like that's some that meta aspect of the games not being afraid to acknowledge what they were yeah. was always something I really loved about the like the tone of rare games. Yeah. 
So, so I think that's why I love Donkey Kong Land's story so much. So yeah, Josh, I wasn't focused on the Dreamcast. I didn't even know, honestly, <laughs> that the Dreamcast... Like, I, I knew of it, like, nebulously, but I didn't know when it was coming out. Didn't really matter to me, because I had to find out if Engard the Swordfish was indeed dead and on Cranky's <laughs> wall. And and it's just, it just amazing to me, like, how... We, we talk about how, like, a couple years before, you don't think the PlayStation is amounting to anything when it's really, like, this huge runaway success eclipsing Nintendo and definitely eclipsing Sega at that point. But how, like, insulated my world was by late 1999, how completely in the throes of my fandom that I was then helping to self-generate online through DK Vine, like, how... Just how closed off I was. I was making my own reality at that point. And I was just completely detached sure. from the true nature of people. If people go back and look at, like, video games in 1999, they will not be talking about the same things that I'm talking about. Or probably even that you're talking about at this point. I mean, to, more, more largely that what you're talking about. But even then, you know, I, I don't know. I, I feel like we both have a tendency to just go off into our own delusions <laughs> i mean i do i i can't remember let me see here donkey kong 64 was the fifth best-selling video game of 1999 so it's not that it wasn't a big deal and it, and it came out in november 1999 so that's still that's yeah. impressive that it reached that metric so late in the year mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so but yeah the the other the other big thing that was sort of like so, you know, I had to wait all this time for the Dreamcast because it yeah. was out in Japan. It was it was a year away. And I remember distinctly the, the day it came out, the day the day that it came out in Japan, thinking, oh, my God, how am I going to survive this insurmountable length of time? And the answer was Pokemon. Mm. Because, you know, you were a teenager by this point. So, like, I'm sure to you, I, you you've talked before, the way that Nintendo's whole... um their whole tone shifted so hard in the direction of Pokemon was very alienating to you. And the thing is, um, I liked I Pokemon, was... Josh. Like, I liked Pokemon. <laughs> I just thought, okay, it's a bit much. Sure. <laughs> and it was. But I was the absolute perfect age for, for Pokemon yeah. at that time. Yeah. And it hit me like a freight like a freight truck. So <laughs> I had I had no chance of not being a gigantic fan of those early Pokemon games. And and Pokemon was like something I, I still very much liked, but I think that was the first time where I could feel the culture shifting away from what I was so heavily invested in and it, how alienating that felt, how like what, what is happening? The, the ground is shifting underneath my own feet and I'm going to be pissy about it. And that's what I would feel big time and be very pissy about indeed a few years later when the Dreamcast very quickly died and then the GameCube wasn't what it wasn't what I thought it would be. Yeah. And then I just kind of was very disillusioned with video games for a little while there. The rare buyout happened. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and of course that really like what was the salt in our wounds because of the hype cycle? I want to briefly address E3 2001. 
Now, this wasn't a hype cycle for any particular game. If we're going to assign it uh, any identity, it will be for Donkey Kong Racing. But this is the E3, as you alluded to at the top of the show, Josh, in your little bit, your little comedy routine. This was the E3 where we got (laughs) Donkey Kong Racing, Diddy Kong Pilot, Donkey Kong Coconut Crackers, Banjo-Kazooie Grunty's Revenge. We found out that Dinosaur Planet was Star Fox Adventures, but Tricky was still in it, so it, mm-hmm. you're still good. Uh, this is uh, where Saber Wolf GBA was announced, but we wouldn't uh, classify that as DKU until just last year. So, But, you know, still, it was a huge, monumental E3. And, of course, we had no way of knowing that the buyout was going to be coming in like a a short what like 15 16 months from then Mm -hmm, so mm -hmm. all all of that hope all of that dream like this this it felt like the culmination of everything we had been hoping for everything i had been hoping for when i first started fantasizing about like the dku when i first sat with that nintendo power in the summer of 1995 and started thinking about all all the branches that that could come about from donkey kong country and yeah, just the idea that crim lantis is going to be in donkey kong racing right. thinking about it from that perspective that, like it, it like it comes full circle they, here. they would be reveling in obscure continuity that only <laughs> freaks like me would care about and and that like we were getting a, a handheld banjo game like banjo was 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 still going strong and and it just felt mm-hmm. like yeah you know it, it it's kind of alienating that like pokemon took the world by storm and donkey kong it's just an also rare but rares got our backs so long as we have rare we are in great shape <laughs> and um and then the buyout happened and it was i mean that was the very first time where i really felt like I, I I almost have to be there for my community because I, I was already yeah. like moving away from DK Vine at that point. But I was like, no, the world needs DK Vine now more than ever. <laughs> and um, that, that was the very first time I had that kind of responsibility pang in my heart. Like, oh, I guess I have to be the, the big brother here and, and be there for everyone because everybody is scared and disillusioned right now because we're not going to get Donkey Kong Racing. We're not going to get Diddy Kong Pilot. We're not going to get Donkey Kong Coconut Crackers, which I was excited about. I don't care what anybody else was saying. I thought Coconut Crackers was thrilling because it just meant Donkey Kong could be anything. Donkey Kong could be a sure. uh, 2D platformer, 3D platformer, racing game, puzzle game. Um, I still very much want to get back to that point where Donkey Kong can be anything, and it's just not Mario having everything. Yeah, it, it has like that. Mo- it 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 almost seemed like it was going to have that malleability that like, that of course Mario has, but also something like Kirby or even Pokemon because Pokemon gets yeah, true, everything, true. you know. And uh, we 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 got a taste of that, even if it never came to fruition. And yeah, like the only game we didn't get in some form was Donkey Kong Racing, the big one, the one we were most excited about. Uh, mm-hmm. It became Saberman Stampede, and then it became Dead. But, sure. you know, we, we we still got Grunty's Revenge unaltered. We still got Diddy Kong Pilots, arguably, you know, it, it, it went through development hell back and forth, became something really promising with the voxel build of Banjo Pilot, and then we just got the, the lesser Banjo Pilot. Yeah, somehow somehow on Banjo Pilot, I remember very clearly seeing the like the video of the voxel build like being posted on the forums. Yeah. Uh, I was still very much a lurker at that time. I'd only posted a handful of times. 
but I remember seeing the voxel build. Somehow I didn't ever see the, the fact that that had gotten changed back. And so when I bought Banjo Pilot, I was expecting it to be the voxel. Oh, like, I'm to sorry. still be like that. Oh, I'm sorry. That's... Oh, no, it's... Oh, it's not your fault. It's just like... Man, like... I found my I found my uh, Banjo Pilot cartridge just a couple of weeks ago. And, like, it's funny. I don't remember playing this as much as I clearly did. Yeah. You know? But I, I really did get very far on it. It's not very memorable. And I think the people yeah. who made it will be the first to tell you that. And there's yeah. a lot of heartbreak in Banjo Pilots. But they they had a great idea. And they were really pushing the hardware. Like, the fact that Rare could create something as beautiful in the Game Boy Advance as that voxel build. Which, by the way, played fine. It just... Anyway, I'm not going to belabor us with that. <laughs> but... That, yeah, but... But it, it kind of made sense because I got to thinking about it like this would have been it came out like what just a few weeks after I would have gotten Donkey Konga for Christmas. Oh so it's god. not like I had much to sink my teeth into. Oh my god. Um so yeah. yeah. Anyway, uh <laughs> I, I I would argue like we got it's Mr. Pants instead of Coconut Crackers, which was one of the very few upgrades as much mm-hmm. as I wanted Coconut Crackers. Uh, it's Mr. Pants. I'm 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 never gonna turn up my nose at that evolution. Uh, so anyway, yeah, E3 2001 was like this. It, it almost was like too much to be one hype cycle because we were just getting like what Mario fans must feel or what Pokemon <laughs> fans must feel. In in my head, I know in actuality that's not how they're feeling, but like oh my god, like we're getting everything. Like we're, it's like you're in the Nexus from off of Star Trek Generations, and you're just being given everything that you could ever dream of. But, right. But there's right. this part of your brain that's like, "Is this too good? Is this right. too much?" You're 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 in the good place, uh, and and <laughs> like your every desire is being catered to, and you 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 can't feel pleasure anymore because that's all you're you're receiving, and. <laughs> You know, you, you've got to have a little bit of angst. You've got to have a little bit of heartbreak and angst. You've got to work for it, feel the sweat to really appreciate it. Uh, <laughs> that being said, if I could go back and get all of that, uh, probably wouldn't a heartbeat. You know, not not yeah. not not to poo-poo any of the stuff we've gotten since then, because I very much like a lot of Rare's Xbox Xbox output. I love Sea of Thieves. I, I love Ukulele. Ukulele Impossible. You know, I'm, I'm not begrudging how our timeline actually, you know, unfurled, but Donkey Kong. I just, had a, I just had an idea for a question I wanted to ask you, and then I was almost immediately like, but that could kind of be an episode unto itself. Oh, so well, go ahead. We'll come no, back to that. No, that, that's, that's a good preview of episodes to come then. That, that will generate our <laughs> own hype cycle for our listeners. Go ahead. The question was going to be, okay, so, you know, you said you'd go back and change this in a heartbeat. You'd go back to E3 2001 and do this. One thing that I that I find very interesting, and I think I've talked with Cameron about this um, on the Geek Critique Discord server and talked about them with it in general. As we know, Activision was at some point pretty close to buying Rare. And I think if they had, if if it had been Activision instead of Microsoft, that probably would have been very good in the short term and very bad in the long term. Yeah. Because if a third-party publisher had, had been the ones to buy Rare, 
they would have still been very much able to work on Nintendo consoles. There is a possibility that we still would have gotten Donkey Kong Racing, that we still would have gotten all of this stuff in some form. And I say it would be bad in the long term because, of course, Activision. inevitably being owned by Activision, right. Rare, if they existed at all, would exist as a Call of Duty like studio exclusively like everything else Activision's bought. So yeah, I think it would be interesting to have an episode where we we sort of walk down an alternate timeline and see how things would have been different. For sure. I, I will say that the one instance in our timeline that we've seen a Donkey Kong game under the auspices of Activision, well, that was canned in favor of, what was it, Destiny development? Um, mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. <laughs> We got a little bit of that anyway. We got a taste of it anyway, so yeah. Uh, and obviously, like, I, I wouldn't trade the continued health and vitality of Rare for anything. Like, e- even sure, Donkey sure. Kong Racing back then, because I would still very much have Sea of Thieves today and, and the promise of Everwild or whatever else they may be developing than losing out on the studio entirely or losing out on the possibility of Platonic. Like, how things mm-hmm. broke down for us, we still have the creatives that we love making games. So... Mm-hmm not not going to try to mess with that formula whatsoever (laughs) but yeah yeah so like from there like hype cycles for the rest of the odds josh for me of course i would get hyped about games but it, it never captured the same fervor that they would in the 90s um Especially because, like, the big Donkey Kong game of the GameCube era was Jungle Beat, which didn't have any returning anything. So there was really nothing to speculate about. It was like, oh, I I wonder if... Well, the answer is no. So that's not not an indictment against Jungle Beat's quality, (laughs) because Jungle Beat is is a game I have come around on and I really love and respect. But I... When, when you just have a blank slate, then it's basically like starting from square one, right? Donkey Kong's in it. Okay. Um, same thing with Donkey Kong Adventure in Mario Plus Rapids Kingdom Battle, right? Like, oh, Donkey Kong's in it. Grant Kirkup's doing the music, but there are no returning characters. It, it, it's DLC for a Mario Plus Rapids game. Mm-hmm. So... Uh, and I'm not saying returning characters are the only like qualifier to generate a hype cycle, but you have to have that foundation, I think, um, for somewhere, something to to kind of like get hyped in the first place. Otherwise, it's a just a game you're looking forward to, and it's not this all-consuming passion. For me, what I really noticed through the GameCube years was that it wasn't that I didn't get hyped for games like I had before, because I still definitely did, but over the course of that generation, I kind of learned to be a little bit more trepidatious about it. Sure. Because it kept seeming like I would get hyped, the game would come out, and then I would be really, really disappointed by it. Most, not every time, but a lot of the time. Well, it, it's growing up, too. Like It is, yeah. Like, Donkey Kong 64 was my first real instance of being disappointed with something that I thought was going to be a masterpiece and not knowing mm-hmm. how to process that. I mean, Phantom Menace too, but like Donkey Kong 64 was, was the first time like I felt let down by Rare, but I couldn't admit it. Sure. <laughs> and, and and knowing about that tortured development now puts a lot of it into perspective. But 
Um, and I still very much like aspects of Donkey Kong 64. I'm not saying it's like irredeemable or that it's a waste of time, but it just wasn't what I was expecting. But yeah, like you said, a part of it is definitely that, and you don't have like the, the, the experience to understand this, to, to understand this yet, Yeah. but you are holding your, you are holding the way that games made you feel when you were still a child and you want them to feel like that again. And they're never going to feel just like that again. And I don't think that was the only reason I was disappointed with, like, Mario, Sunshine, Double Dash, games like that. But I think it was definitely a factor. Like, I, I don't even think it's, like, when you're a child, like, I'm I'm picturing, like, age six or so. Like, I, I think yeah, it's yeah. a very specific age. I'm going to say, like, age 10 to 13 is the sweet mm-hmm. spot. Where, where you are still very much an impressionable child... That when the world is magical, but you've got enough life experience in you to to know exactly what you like, and um, it, it it's just this this perfect little window in your life that you're never going to perfectly replicate again. But you're always going to be chasing that feeling. It's kind of what I said earlier with Mario sixty four, where I was young enough for it to be this extremely magical experience, but old enough to understand the context of it. Right. Right. Well, now that we've um, lamented the passage of our youth, let's (laughs) talk about what made us feel like kids again. Because the hype cycle, the first time I really felt the hype cycle, like, like beyond just the Smash Brothers rigmarole or like, Oh, oh, they're making uh, Mario Kart Wii. I, Funky Kong's in it? Like, uh, or Banjo-Kazooie Nuts and Bolts. Uh, oh, what what are they doing with, like... <laughs> what the, are they doing? <laughs> the the first time I really felt this, I, I think post-Conquer Live and Reloaded, like, the first time I really felt it again, and I was, like, all about something, was Donkey Kong Country Returns, uh, 2010. Because, one, this was a hype cycle that very much mirrored the hype cycles of my childhood, where a game is announced at E3, it comes out that November. Like, oh my god, it, just like it was when I was a kid. But this, this is what reignited my passion for the DKU, it's what brought me back full-time to DK Vine, uh, where I still am today. And this just felt, like, so pure and such, like like, such a such a victory lap for a franchise and a fandom that had been through quite a bit the previous decade. The denigration, the revisionist history of Donkey Kong Country was never a good game series. It was only appreciated because of the graphics, which aged poorly. Um, There's no good gameplay there. The characters were horrendous. And you still had a bit of that going into Donkey Kong Country Returns hype. Like... I remember like, oh, I wonder who's going to be in it. Like, just seeing Diddy was enough at the time. That first trailer at E3 2010, the You Can Hear It Coming trailer, just seeing Diddy was there was enough for me at the time. That's how, like, beaten down we were. Where, oh, oh, the the the, the secondary protagonist is in the game? Oh my god, <laughs> I'm sold. Well, yeah, because that, that that right there told you, along with the fact that the title was Donkey Kong Country Returns, this wasn't going to be another Jungle Beat. Again, right. not that there was anything wrong with Jungle Beat, just that it didn't scratch that itch the same way. Yeah. Yeah. So, like, having Donkey Kong Country Returns, this this celebration of that brand, in particular, Super Donkey Kong in Japan, 
it, it mm-hmm. did feel like, oh, okay, I guess you're acknowledging we were right. Like, like there's <laughs> nothing wrong with this. And you still brush, brush, uh, like brushed up against a little bit of that old antagonism here or there. Like, oh, well, we've completely swapped out the entire uh, antagonistic cast for these new characters. Or like Nintendo Power infamously, or at least infamously in my mind, ran an article, their article about Donkey Kong Country Returns, where they applauded the fact that they cut out the entire Kong cast, Sans Donkey, right. Diddy, and Cranky, where, where where they said, like, the Kong cast had ballooned to a voluptuous gorilla and a oversized baby, but thankfully, Donkey Kong Country Returns takes it back to basics. I'm like, you, you, the voluptuous gorilla was in the first one. What are you, what are you talking about, back to basics? But th- uh, this is th- this is something that I've talked about with uh, with like my Discord members. Uh, th- there's there's somebody I want to give a shout out to, Darkwing Spartan. I don't know, I, I don't know if he, if he'll listen this <laughs> this deep in this deep into a Donkey Kong episode. But just in case he does, he always says something that's like everything is liked eventually. Yeah, and I think that this this like when culture when that nostalgic spotlight starts finally shining on the things that you loved growing up, it is such a wonderful feeling. And I think that's something that the GameCube kids have had in like the past five five to seven years. I think it's something that the late twenty ten that the late two thousands kids are getting right now. And twenty ten, I remember in so many ways was the beginning of that for for the 90s. That was really when you could feel the culture shifting to reflect us. A- absolutely. And that's when, like, a, a year or two after this, that's when you started to have the N64 nostalgia really kick mm-hmm. in and the kind of victory lap for things like Banjo-Kazooie, which, you know, just two years previous to Country Returns, you had, you know, nuts and bolts hand-wringing and, and, like, making all these jokes about how nobody wants a game like Banjo-Kazooie anymore. And, mm-hmm. um, and then you had the wellspring of nostalgia build up for it. But, yeah, like, ha- having this, a- as fraught as this hype cycle could be, like, oh, I I wonder what animal buddies are going to be in it. Oh, my God, here's the Rambi reveal trailer. Okay, when are the other ones coming? And, and, you know, just, just, stuff <laughs> right. like, just stuff like that where... Your expectations are never going to be matched by what they actually are doing. And of course, returns in particular, because that was the first salvo in and the the revival of Donkey Kong Country as a brand. And there was this, I, I think, unawareness of just how deep the fandom actually ran when it came to everything. And so they they were just like, what do we need to bring back? It was a very Nintendo stripped down philosophy. Well, what needs to come back for Donkey Kong Country? Well, I guess Diddy Kong. Uh, Miyamoto likes Cranky. <laughs> uh, we need one animal buddy. And, we need and, blowing. We need we 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 need him to blow on things. And and, and what we, what we really need to match is the gameplay and and general like aesthetics, but. I don't think they really realized how deeply everybody cared about everything. Like, like, K. Rule. Like, how hardcore we were for K. Rule and Engard and uh, Funky Kong. And that stuff started to resurface with Donkey Kong Country Tropical Freeze, obviously. Not all the way. Like, like they, they couldn't fully commit. And I think, I, I don't want to put everything, as I've said, I don't want to put everything on... Tanabi, uh, 
But I, I, I do think there was a lot of internal division about how much they could bring back, how much they should reinvent. And I think the Snowmats were the compromise, you know, like, well, let's make something a lot more evocative of the Kremlins, even if we can't bring back the Kremlins. But yeah, when Tropical Freeze got announced, Josh, so this, this was a weird one for me. And, and talking about events in my life that kind of tie into the hype cycle, E3 2013, Tropical Freeze was revealed. I don't think any of us were really expecting it to be announced. Like, no, like not, not, not a clue. Right. So Tropical Freeze is announced the same day David Wise is announced as coming back. Huge, huge moment. But like two days later, like the bulk of DK Vines packing up and going to Bonnaroo. Bonnaroo! Bonnaroo! Yeah, so so <laughs> I always wanted to do that. That it sucks. That that um yeah, I know. <laughs> that week we went to Bonnaroo to see Sir Paul McCartney as the headlining act, which fantastic best best uh best concert i've ever been to i was right up at the stage seeing sir paul belt out classics from the beatles wings and his solo years but it was really hard to leave it all behind right after a new <laughs> right. donkey Kong game had been announced and and granted like we had phones we had smartphones at that point so I could still follow along through limited capacity at Bonnaroo, but wow, you had smartphones all the way back in 2013. Yeah, yeah, I, I think Jeez. I got my first iPhone in 2011. I want to say, I like that. that yeah. I was a relatively late adopter then, but still, yeah, yeah. Uh, so, what crystallized like for me being at Bonnaroo was pulling up footage uh gameplay footage of tropical freeze at e3 which was concurrent with bonnaroo and and seeing the like the like more like 3d barrel cannon sequences and being like wow this looks like leagues above returns like this looks so visually impressive and trying to crank up my phone as loud as i could to hear the david wise music but not being (laughs) able to hear anything over bonnaroo Right. <laughs> and I remember what what really stuck in my mind during this Bonnaroo trip where I suffered from heat stroke eventually. I got horrendous sunburn on my legs waiting to see Paul McCartney, which I did not realize until the concert ended. And I was walking away and the adrenaline was fading, seeing, you know, my favorite Beatle in person. Well, the, 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 the imposter pretending to be my favorite Beatle in person, but he's still a very big figure in Beatles lore, Billy Shears. And uh, I, I remember thinking, wow, I feel terrible. And then realizing <laughs> how sunburnt I got. And then that developing into heat stroke and getting like the chills. And and it just miserable for like the next two days. And then um, taking a lot of pain meds. But yeah, on, on that episode of the conversation following Bonnaroo, you, you both... You both sounded so happy, but so exhausted. Yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> I like, again, talking about bad experiences that we wouldn't trade, wouldn't trade seeing a Beatle that close. Like, that That was a, literally a once-in-a-lifetime moment, because how, like, mm-hmm. where else are you going to get that close to Paul McCartney without paying out your ass? Like, no thanks. So, and, and of course, ten years later, his voice is degraded much more than it was back then, so that was still, like... 
pr- pretty, pretty uh, top-notch experience as far as uh, seeing him in concert. But what, what stuck in my mind that trip, thinking about the Tropical Freeze reveal, was that you could take almost anything. Th- this goes back to my bear revelation in the summer of 96. You could take almost anything... And if you launder it through the DKU and Donkey Kong, you can make it exciting. So I never really cared about Vikings before the summer of 2013. But then you announced that Vikings from the North Seas are coming to freeze Donkey Kong Island. Well, then all of a sudden Vikings are pretty cool. I've never really considered (laughs) Vikings. Vikings are pretty badass. They're pretty uh, thrilling as antagonists. Uh, yeah, why haven't we done Vikings before? And and just having that um, switch flipped in mm-hmm. my brain. Not not the Nintendo Switch, that would be a couple years later. But having it, like, bloop, in my head, I'm like, wow, yo, I'm an easy mark. You, <laughs> you, you, just, you just do whatever in a Donkey Kong Country game, and I'm going to accept it and like it. And uh, somebody threw a plush walrus up on the stage that Paul McCartney then put on his piano. Because, you know, here's another clue for you all. The walrus was Paul. But besides that Beatles iconography, I'm thinking, oh, my God, like like the Vikings from Tropical Freeze. (laughs) Of course. (laughs) Because we didn't know them as the Snowmads yet. They were just, as Iwata introduced them, the Vikings from the North Seas. So they were just the Vikings. And... uh, yeah, that, that 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 was fun. That that was just, and I of course I was seeing like little reminders of Tropical Freeze everywhere, and just being in the throes of that excitement for a new game, and 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 having every aspect of my life enriched by it. I miss that feeling, Josh. I I really do. Well, I'll I'll I'll, I'll tell you this. I think. Something that may be lost, like something that's something about the context that's lost about DKC returns. If you weren't on the internet in the 2000s and what made that so special was because it was coming off of the back of a decade where Donkey Kong Country had just been, like you said, so maligned and the property itself had been in some ways like relatively misused and uh, at least to the tastes of us as to us as fans, so for DKC returns to come out or to be revealed, looking the way it does, to be revealed the way that it was, to to, to quote unquote make it magic again, as Reggie said, was such a big deal. But <clears throat> I don't, and I don't think we've we, me and you have ever talked about this before. What was honestly just as big a deal to me as a fan? was going on DKVine.com and seeing that redesign, that beautiful uh, sunset redesign, seeing that the site had been renamed back to DK Vine, and just seeing that you guys were back producing content, doing podcasts, that, like like I, I mentioned earlier with in regards to DK64, experiencing and having my fandom enhanced through your fandom was really a formative like i just i discovered you so like when i was still technically a kid and that was formative to me so dkc returns coinciding with dk vine returns and i wasn't doing the geek critique online you and i didn't know each other but that was always just such a big a big piece of that to me because like 
that made it so much like not i'm sure i would have been super excited about dkc returns one way or the other yeah but to have you back to have dk vine back to have that community back and i know it wasn't just you like there were all kinds of former community members who were coming back like right around that time like that just made that whole period so special yeah it it really did i think rekindle for me like not just my love for everything but but it really made me learn how to incorporate it into my adult life rather than it being mm-hmm. this relic that I I was moving away from. It was like, no, I can still be a functioning adult, whatever that means in the 2010s. <laughs> whatever that means. Uh, I can still be a functioning adult. I can I can define myself as a Donkey Kong journalist mm-hmm. um, because who the fuck cares? <laughs> and uh, <laughs> yeah, that's that's uh, that's that's where we are today. And yeah, um, I, I appreciate you saying that. I, I'm glad that you discovering DK Vine when you're a kid doesn't constitute a form of child abuse, but I'm glad <laughs> that it's helped you as an adult. And, you know, I mean, boy, some of those jokes went over my head. Yeah, John Lovitz. <laughs> Who the fuck is Green that? Green Porn City? <laughs> <laughs> I still renew that URL every year. I <laughs> still redirects to DK Vine. Just in case there is a hardcore Green Porn City fan out there who's like, I wonder whatever became... Oh, it's DK Vine. Wow, what's this? <laughs> wow, I like Donkey Kong too. So <laughs> we do have a couple calls to take. Right. So why don't we go ahead and play them? Because we've been chattering for far too long, probably. I'm sure people are, are getting antsy. They're like, wow, you know, th- this episode's going to go so long, we're going to hit the next Donkey Kong hype cycle. So... Uh, let, let's go and play the calls <laughs> and start to wrap this up. All right. Hello, Heil. Hello, Josh of the Geek Critique. Huge fan of your videos. Um, so if we're talking video game high season, I want to talk to you guys about Pokemon. Because if any series is my home series, my favorite series, I love me some Donkey Kong, but Pokemon has that place in my heart. And Pokemon high season get crazy because everyone's looking out for, for leaks and rumors and hoaxes because we get like a hundred new Pokemon each game, right? So... Uh, I'm going to talk to you guys specifically about Pokemon Sun and Moon. Back in 2016, uh, the starters were Rowlet, a little owl with a bow tie, Litten, an emo cat, and Poplio, a sea lion with a clown nose. Um, and we've seen a lot of fan art and fake evolutions here and there, but one day, some images get dropped online of a hooded owl that used its wings as a bow and arrow, a wrestling tiger with a championship belt made of fire, and a mermaid siren seal. And it was like, whoa, because we've seen fan art before, but these looked like really official. But they were so weird. Why does the cat turn into a wrestler? Why does the seal turn into a mermaid? It was crazy. Um, so a lot of people were fighting already because so many people wanted them to be not real, but so many people thought they looked real. The fighting went off the month. One day, uh, a character is revealed for the game named Mallow. No relation to Super Mario RPG. And it turns out Mallow was in the fan art the whole time. The concept art, not the fan art, excuse me. Mallow was in the concept art the whole time. And it was like, whoa, so it's got to be real then, right? Because we didn't even notice that at the time. But so many people were like, no, 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 no. That's just a coincidence. They just guessed the design. They're fake, I tell you. Fake. And people are making these, like, Photoshop charts to show that the images are edited when they're very clearly not. It was insane. Um, one day, a few months later, someone goes up to one of the game developers who's signing autographs at a convention with a uh, fan art of these starters. And he just kind of shakes his head and goes, 
you guys weren't supposed to see this yet. You know, so that pretty much confirmed it, right? And they, they ended up being real. And I have such good memories of that time. They're still some of my favorite starters because of that time. Uh, so, yeah, that's my memory. I wanted to share it with you guys. And you know what? I bet you they were only leaked because someone was passing that art along to Sakurai because he needed some Pokemon for his new Smash Brothers game. And you know what? Incineroar, the wrestling tiger, is in Super Smash Brothers Ultimate. <laughs> so there you go. Well, thank you for that call, caller, and that insight into a world that I don't really understand, Pokemon fandom, beyond the initial early 90s salvos. Um, yeah, I've always kept my distance from, like, the deep Pokemon fandom for for lots of lots of good reasons. I was going to ask you, Josh, is that what it's like? Where where people are like arguing about the the designs of the new Pokemon? Is is that? Oh yeah, for sure. I I I see. I catch like the the sort of periphery of it. Like like I'm aware of it. I will say one. But the the two thoughts that come to mind. One that was for Pokemon Sun and Moon. I've always really wished that I liked Sun and Moon better than I do. Sun and Moon is the only mainline Pokemon game that I've never finished at least once. Um, but the but the reason that I wish I loved it more is because the idea of a cat that turns into a wrestler is it's just like that should be my favorite Pokemon, and yeah. it, that was the one I picked when I tried to play it, and I just I just couldn't stick with it. But yeah, the other thing is we were talking earlier about how you could. In the early days of the internet, you know, you could just message Lee Loveday and you could say, where's DK64? And he could say, you know, yeah, we're working on it. We're just not ready to reveal it yet. It's hilarious that somebody was still able to do that by just cornering him in real life. Right. And being like, hey, what are the, can you comment on these pictures I brought? Which feels a little bit more invasive to me than just messaging someone, but... Well, yeah. I, I, I guess in an official context, like a convention or, or whatever, then sure. But yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, all, all I all I can add to this from my own perspective is being really excited about Pika Blue. Uh, oh, in, yeah. in the late nineties, when when everybody thought was Meryl, uh, like that, that that was a character called Pika Blue that was going to be in the next Pokemon game, and it turns out it had nothing to do with Pikachu. Yeah, Heil, you've got to go into Bill's secret garden and capture the Poke Gods. Yeah, I I think like I I pulled out a Pokemon fandom when Pika Blue turned out to be false because like what can I really believe? <laughs> what? No, I'm done. When am I gonna get missing no merch? Come on, you you can make so much merch for every other Pokemon, but nothing for missing no. They've got bootleg plushes that I've considered buying. They uh, do, yeah, because they they look really cool. Anyway, thank you for the call and that insight into uh, a fandom that I'm not really a part of, and I will never be a part of again. But I do love walking through the grass outside Pallet Town, leveling up <laughs> my Pokemon. What can I say? <laughs> All right, let's take. Call two and three are actually from the same caller. They are part of a series. Let's play them back to back. Hey, Heil. Hey, Josh. This is Traveler of the Stars here. I always seem to call in when uh, the Geek Critique and DK9 crossover. Love to see it. So, yeah, this is a very interesting topic for an episode, kind of the pre-release hype cycle and all that. Um, well, what immediately comes to mind, I know this is not DKU, but, I mean, I think it's appropriate. Um, Pikmin 4. 
Pikmin fans are probably the one Nintendo ongoing series that have Donkey Kong fans beat <laughs> in terms of, uh, you know, getting a mainline game next. So I guess we did get a Pikmin on the 3DS, but we didn't really talk about that. But, yeah, you know, Pikmin again and Donkey Kong are just kind of alike in that Miyamoto kind of champions for both of them. They're both kind of just babies, seemingly. But, uh, yeah, I don't know. Um, I was just kind of thinking about, you know, for many years, you know, Miyamoto said that Pikmin 4, or the next Pikmin game was almost done. So us Pikmin fans kind of eventually, at least for, like me, I kind of tried to get it out of my mind, you know? Uh, um, sort of maybe like how Donkey Kong fans have, you know, been in hibernation, you know, try to get it out of your mind. And then, um, at least for me, kind of what I noticed, like, when it gets announced, Kyle, you mentioned, like, I don't know, reaction blindness. Or, like, when, like, you, something gets announced that you aren't expecting, and you just kind of, like, shut down. Um, I'll never forget when, in the direct last year, when Miyamoto finally officially unveiled Pikmin 4, he talked about the mobile game for a while. That was great. But uh, I really was feeling the hype, like, right before launch. Because for me, it's on a different case-by-case basis. I'll either, like, completely spoil my information or, like, totally not spoil. And for this, I did not spoil. But I don't know. It's just always so exciting, obviously, that when I'm getting a new game, obviously, I mean, it's not a, a deep thought or anything. But, yeah, it's just always great to get a new game. I think, for me, the biggest hype I feel um, as a, you know, gaming fan, a Nintendo fan, is just, like, the new Nintendo console. Um, because, like, your mind is, like, is brimming. It's like, oh, like, what game, what game series will, will come out? Or, like, what, what possibilities will they do? What new things will Nintendo have? Um, what things may they take away? But, yeah, I don't know. Um, I guess I tend to not spoil myself because I try to, uh, I find wider possibilities, but also maybe get some information to see, keep my dreams in check. But, anyway, sorry I rambled and I don't really have much deep to say, but kind of looking forward to this episode. Take care. Bye-bye. Hey, Kyle. Hey, Deep Critique. I forgot your name for a second. For some reason, sorry. Um, listen, I do have something I want to specifically say. Scramble the Stars, by the way. Uh, my least favorite thing about pre-release hype is those people, you go on YouTube, you, you see those videos, oh, bosses, there's the final boss in the thumbnail, I remember when Super Mario Odyssey came out and they spoiled that, I don't want to name names, actually, I, well, no, I won't. Luckily, the main one has kind of left the internet seemingly now, which I'm totally fine with because I do not like being spoiled. I remember on the Meteor stage in Smash 4 before The Force Awakens, like I saw it, I saw like a post about Han Solo dying. So that's great. Anyway, yeah, I, I don't really like having to avoid my YouTube recommended or like dodging Twitter stuff. It's not great. Can people just not spoil things? Anyway, that's all. Thank you for the calls, Traveler of the Stars. Yeah, you forgot my name in the second call there. That's okay. I'll, my, my name is Prosafia Gaming. Yeah. <laughs> that, that, that's actually my name. Also forgot the name of Twitter. Uh, it's X. It's X, X yes. <laughs> so cool. So edgy. Yeah. Uh, anyway. Uh, yeah, you know, spoilers. Uh, I, 
I, I, we've really focused on the hype cycle as related to the 90s and things that emulate the 90s hype cycles, but there is the fear of spoiling too much. And, and we, we touched upon that a little bit in this episode, but it is kind of a fraught proposition. Like, when do you pull back in the hype cycle um, in this day and age, especially when a game might potentially leak like a week or two beforehand? And also, like, it, it feels like the internet has zero patience with people who might be playing or consuming something on their own schedule. It's like uh, something comes out, okay, spoilers are lifted. Everybody talk about everything right now. And it's yeah. very hard to escape being spoiler free, um, especially like you go into YouTube and then you get this obnoxious thumbnail with an arrow pointing right to something. And you're like, why is there an arrow <laughs> yeah. here? Why is this? such a standard the arrow pointing at something it's stupid well it's 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 weird for me too because because of my preferences and my tastes in gaming and what i tend to prioritize the kinds of spoilers that i care the, that i tend to care the most about are the sort of things that a lot of people don't even consider spoilers um a good example of that is like before metroid dread the newest metroid game came out i did not want to know about like what weapons were returning what new what new abilities samus would have like i care a lot about like mechanical gameplay spoilers i care a lot about like what levels are going to be in it and what they're going to look like like i don't tend to care so much about directly story related stuff most of the time but that tends but, but a lot of that stuff like you know even nintendo will put out things like oh and samus also has the speed booster I'm like, I didn't want to know that. I would have been so excited if I just found that. Yeah. For me, like, I feel like everything that Nintendo or Rare wants to tell me beforehand, that's fair game. Like, that's part of the hype right. cycle. But if if it's some random YouTuber, some random person who might have the game illicitly before it comes out, then no. I don't want to know. If If it's not released through an official medium, then... I don't want to know because I shouldn't know it beforehand, if that makes any yeah. sense. And then he, he also brought up Pikmin, and uh, I felt like such an outsider <laughs> for the past couple of weeks of Nintendo fandom as the Pikmin 4 hype cycle has, like, burst outward. Like oh, we talked about oh. earlier how in... What? Is, is, is Pikmin 4 out? Pikmin 4 is out, yeah. Oh, <laughs> okay. I thought that was, like later this year or next year no it just came out yeah okay okay see (laughs) what yeah right (laughs) yeah we talked earlier about how like um the like 2010 was this point where the 90s finally started shining in terms of nostalgia like because i was so disaffected through the whole gamecube era like a lot of franchises that got their start there that are now like this peak nostalgia <laughs> at the peak of the internet nostalgia. I'm just like, okay, well, no, Pikmin's fine. I don't really feel strongly about it one way or the other. I don't really get it. Yeah. It it doesn't resonate with me. I'm sorry to say like, neither is animal crossing. I tried with animal crossing. I really tried. And I was like, mm-hmm. this isn't doing anything for me, but you know, different strokes, different folks. Like it's it's why Donkey Country appealed so strongly to me, and other people might play and be like, "It's a it's a, it's a gorilla with a tie." I don't get it. Yeah, like what? <laughs> but yeah, why don't you just play Mario? 
Right, Mario. Uh, that that is platforming perfection. Floating blocks <laughs> and turtles. Actually, Mario isn't good. Why don't you just play Luigi's Mansion? Yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> like I said, every, everybody's wired differently. We're all going to have our own taste, and that's fine so long as we respect each other's opinion. Like it, it's. I, I might not be into Pikmin or Animal Crossing, but I will never say that anybody who loves Pikmin or Animal Crossing is wrong because they're not. Um, just just like that whole discourse when Tropical Freeze was announced and everybody was losing their flipping mind because a new Donkey Kong game <laughs> is coming only three years after the last new Donkey Kong game and how dare retro. And and it was just like, are, are you kidding me? Like, you're going to try to deprive me of my joy? Like... Oh yeah, I, I'm I'm throwing no shade on Pikmin fans. I'm very happy for them. Like a lot of yeah. people that that I know very well and consider friends, and that I that I follow on social media and stuff, they're just so hyped for it. They're so happy for it. They're so excited about it. And I'm just kind of I'm just kind of like, well, okay, well, I'm I'm good for you. Good no, for you guys. I, I feel like the bulk of like the DK Vine staff is like excited about Pikmin, and and I'm just like off in the corner. Just uh, it's like, yep, yep. Like, so you do, do you want to play yeah, Sea of Thieves I, tomorrow? I, yep. I, I I vaguely remember renting Pikmin like twenty years ago. I bought Pikmin just to get the trophy in melee that was required. Ah. <laughs> like uh, yeah, you had to have Pikmin on your uh on your uh, save cartridge to unlock mm-hmm. the one trophy, and I was like, all right, all right, I'll buy <laughs> Pikmin. But yeah, like. Traveler's other point was they're most excited about new consoles. And for me, that's actually not the case. I dread new consoles in this day and age because uh, that's money I have to spend or else I'm going to be left behind. And uh, I, I just want I, I'm, I'm hoping that the new Donkey Kong game is for the Switch so we can say it's for the Switch where I don't want to have to buy a new console for it and, and start that. Free. And like, and then you have the whole artificial scarcity thing where it's like, oh, we're going to release a new console, but it might be like two years before you can readily find one without like... Oh yeah, that's what just what happened with the PS5 and the Xbox Series yeah, X. Yeah, yeah, so like I'm just now at the point where I can like comfortably pursue buying an Xbox Series X without like being the victor in a riot, right? Like right. It, it, it's ludicrous, whereas but before you just, you know... There might be, like, a couple weeks of scarcity, but if you want an N64, if you want a GameCube, you will be able to get one if you have the money for it, so... But but on the other hand, it is... And who knows if Nintendo's next console will follow this pattern. The Wii U to the Switch definitely didn't, um, and Nintendo tends to play by their own rules. But assuming it goes the way it has, console generations have a ludicrous amount of crossover nowadays. I mean... Yeah major releases are still almost three years into quote-unquote the next generation major releases are still coming out for the ps4 and the xbox one yeah like we're only just now getting to the the point so it's possible depending on what the next nintendo system is that it will still like maintain a few a year or two of cross compatibility with the switch that's just really not Nintendo style, though, is it? I, I don't know. Like, I, I think, like, they, they would do the whole, like, Breath of the Wild thing where they will release it for both rather mm-hmm. than have cross-compatible. Like, who knows? Like, I'm hoping the Switch will be... Switch games will just be backwards compatible with whatever's next because... And it would be harder, too, because the Switch hardware itself is quite a bit older. I mean, it was based on, you know, it was based on wither technology to begin with. Yeah. So, as is Nintendo style. So, yeah, it's very likely the successor is going to be 
enough of a substantial step up that it's <laughs> that that would be hard to maintain the same way. But then again, but who knows? I'm I'm so old that the switch still feels new. So <laughs> the switch does not feel new to me. I can't I can't say I've reached that level yet. All right. Well, we can argue about this later. Why don't we take our final call and then we will uh, wrap this up in uh, in a way that isn't depressing or demoralizing, but gives us hope for the future. Perhaps. Sounds good. All right. Oh, hello there. My name is SpaceMeSpacer. That's my online username. And I have two particularly big hype cycles, remember, for Donkey Kong. You see, I got into Donkey Kong thanks to the Nintendo Wii, like with Donkey Kong Country Returns. I got a Wii in 2010, and it was pretty cool. But Donkey Kong Country Returns was basically my favorite video game of all time after that, after I got in 2011. It was a game I was obsessed in and started my trek towards the Donkey Kong universe to this day. In fact, I still love it to this day. I'm really desperate for a new Donkey Kong game, in fact. But the two particular hype cycles I remember were for Donkey Kong Country Returns 3D, which was a particularly hype game for me because I, at the time, loved my 3DS. I think I got mine with the 3DS XL in 2012, and with that, a new Donkey Kong game being on the system would be the best thing of all time for me. Hell, I remember in 2012, I wanted to get that, um, the DK, um, uh, I don't know if it was like King of Swing or the other one. I get, I get the two names confused, but I wanted one of those games since I, I wanted at least something Donkey Kong going on a 3DS. And then when that game got revealed, oh, I was so excited because I got to play a great game I loved on a system I loved on the go. Yeah, that was good. I also am very into Tropical Freeze as well. I remember hearing about that, well, not directly on the Direct because I didn't tune into Directs at the time. I really wasn't that particularly savvy on the internet as I am now, but I did remember hearing it like a bit later after the Direct, and I was hyped. I remember I started tuning into Directs right as that game was announced, because I was excited for it. I went through everything. I specifically remember that one um, gaming event where they shot off Cranky Kong and the, um, the Bramble level, Bramble Scramble. It was particularly very exciting because it was so beautiful to me. I can't believe this game looked like this. I mean, that was the game that pretty much convinced me to get a Wii U, or at least one of the ones that really wanted me to get a Wii U, since the rest of the system's library was rather mediocre in my eyes, or the very least I didn't really see much that I couldn't get on my 3DS. But yeah, I was through with everything. I even remember being very disappointed when the game was delayed to 2014 because I, I could have probably gotten the Wii U at like 2013 if the game was released as intended, but it was still pretty cool to see the game released on the 20th anniversary of Donkey Kong. It was very, very exciting. In fact, I really couldn't keep my head for that much longer. I ended up getting a Wii U in 2015, but I kind of missed out on Donkey Kong Country Tropical Freeze on the Wii U. And they hit the three-minute mark and, and cut off there. But thank you for the call. Was it Spacey? What, was it Spacey McSpacerson? Um, terrible like names. That. I apologize. But thank you, nonetheless, for the call. And yeah, uh, I, I got a Wii U. For Donkey Kong Country Tropical Freeze, I also got my first high def TV 
for Donkey Kong Country Tropical Freeze, Josh. There was no need to have one until then. There was that I, I you 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 rib me for this, but <laughs> it's the truth. I felt no need to uh, move on from my old tube-based television until Donkey Kong Country was in HD, <laughs> and I was like, "Welp, it's time." So, like, no, I love that. I'm not ribbing you. I'm I'm complimenting you. So yeah, I got a Wii U, a high def TV, and Tropical Freeze all within the same like sphere of time. Um, so yeah, like you're you're not alone there. And it's really cool to hear somebody who came on board with the returns era and mm-hmm. and like Dongle Country Returns 3D what was a big game for you. That's really cool to hear. And yeah, just um it's it's, it's always <clears throat> thrilling for me to hear people who come in at a different entry point than, you know, I did, or even a different era, like, or a couple eras removed from it. Like when we were at MAGFest in early 2020, you know, before everything went to shit, it was really cool to hear somebody telling me that their entry point into all of this was DK Jungle Climber. uh, Yeah. Which like, for that to be somebody's like, big game i was like wow you know every game is potentially somebody's first that's incredible so yeah i I remember when i thought that the people who started with dk64 were just they were just little children they were they they didn't really know what they were and and now i look back and i'm like you know they were they were prop some of them were probably older than me actually yeah Yeah. (laughs) like there was no actual difference there but yeah with returns i remember thinking even in 2010 having this little bit of a, a bit of concern that like is this too narrowly focused on us? Because this is a 2D platformer um, with 3D visuals, of course, and it is tough as nails. It is unusually difficult for a game that looks like this. Like, yeah. I, I'm not sure. And I've I've heard, you know, stories from people who had it when they were kids and never got anywhere in it because it was too difficult. So right. because of that, it is always cool to hear somebody, like you said, who started with returns and had it resonate with them the same way that the the Super Nintendo trilogy did with us. Yeah, absolutely. Somebody who actually uh got on board with the game and got past the first world. Like cool. Yeah. Cool. Uh so yeah. Josh, I like I don't know if you can feel this. You know, you 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 are a part of our community, but you also have your own sort of community and you 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 kind of have your toes in different fandoms, whereas I'm just completely in these waters of of the DKU. But there there has been this level of like uh, morose melancholy uh, in the community since a month ago, since the last not E3, since that June Nintendo Direct, since the uh, the, the Microsoft presentation i i I don't know i i feel and maybe this is just me and me looking at things through my own sullen eyes but i i feel like 2023 in many ways this should have been our year like we got mainstream recognition with the super mario brothers movie right uh donkey kong lego product is coming out august 1st hell yeah the theme park is still under construction in both Osaka and Orlando. And there this are year marks the 25th anniversary of Banjo Kazooie. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. There are uh, lots of little encouraging signs. You know, Jack Specific is soft launching Donkey Kong branded figure line uh, with a new Donkey Kong sculpt and a reissue of 2014's World of Nintendo Diddy Kong figure. Uh, that that's coming out soon. It's got its own packaging, you know, separate from the Mario brand. Like, really cool to see. But like I've said, like once we hit that decade mark, once we hit a decade since the last new full-length Donkey Kong hype cycle, I feel like we all just sort of mentally collapsed, a- and and we were like, well, I guess there's no escape, but sadness. Like like it it, it just consumed us and, and we've been in a funk ever since yeah I, th- I think it's a i think it's a bunch of factors i think it's all these things happening at once it's not just the 10th anniversary of this it's like i said the 25th anniversary of banjo it's all these factors that really made it seem like if it's gonna like if it's gonna happen this year it's gonna happen now and i think that's part of it because like we're on the other side of not e3 we're on the other side of that season and there's this feeling that like if it was going to happen this year, we'd have probably heard about it by now. Which is silly. It, that, that's There's no intellectual truth to that, but it, it's this level of irrationality that you can't shake. Mm-hmm. Because another, another Nintendo Direct comes without any news, and here's yet another Mario game, you know? And, and, and you're just <laughs> like... <sighs> And it's like Diddy Kong might not even be in Mario Kart 8 Deluxe. <laughs> and you start questioning everything. So on one hand, you've got all this evidence that something big is in the works for Donkey Kong. All this stuff is gearing up to support it. And on the other hand, you have what's actually being announced and released. And, yeah. and it's like you can't reconcile both realities. Because it feels like they're on separate... Talking about timelines, it feels like they are separate timelines running parallel to each other and that we're witnessing both, but but not really living in the one. And and I really feel like we need, the, the fandom needs a new hype cycle now more than ever. Because I, like, like you brought up earlier this episode, the brilliant thing about the concept of the DKU, as DK Vine defines it, at least post-buyout, is that whenever the Donkey Kong series runs into these doldrums, for whatever reason, Rare is usually releasing something pretty interesting. Mm-hmm. And whenever Rare is is struggling in some capacity, whenever their games are in development hell or, or whatever, then we've got Donkey Kong. And I think this might be the first time since that brief period, that, that interim in 2009 between nuts and bolts and the reveal of returns where it just feels like we are in a holding pattern for absolutely everything. Yeah. Uh, everything like sea of thieves is still chugging along, still very much successful, but I, I would even say that that monkey Island tall tale, the first one, you know, I, the one I was so lukewarm about, it was actually very superb and I had a lot of fun playing it. And we actually have the archive stream up on our YouTube channel right now if you want to check it out for yourself but despite that it's still a five-year-old game you know even longer if you're in the technical alpha Mm -hmm. and it just can't generate that same level of hype that a brand new experience can deliver and i know older rare fans specifically me 
uh, are getting to the point where, you know, we really want some love for Rare. We really want some recognition from Rare concerning Rare, like uh, Sea of Thieves, like <coughs> Captain Black Eye. <coughs> <laughs> yeah, you mentioned something in the Inner Circle, I, I think it was earlier today, actually, or maybe last night, where you said, you know, you it's not that you don't, it's not that you didn't enjoy the Monkey Island uh uh, sea of Thieves expansion. It's just it's hard not to play it and imagine this level of love for a rare IP in Sea of Thieves and, and right. what that would be like. Right. It's like where do the rare fans go to get that level of love and recognition that feels mm-hmm. like everything is getting these days sans rare. And I know that's just a silly, spiteful, green-eyed monster like it living inside of me, and the reality is much more nuanced than that. But you know, like, it has been 15 years since a new Banjo-Kazooie game. And and we know Platonic is working on ukulele games, plural, but it's the same problem we're having with Donkey Kong and Nintendo. There's knowing, and then there's knowing. And, right. and, and we need to know something soon, because I feel like we're running on fumes, and I'm going to crack. I, I'm just going to crack up, Josh. <laughs> I don't you're know. Gonna, it, you're going to go back to mid 2000s style. No, ne- never again. But okay, good. I, I, I am definitely like, I, I have been, I have been like reassuring everybody for for years now that we've got good things ahead, and you can only mm-hmm. say we got good things ahead for so long before people just give up hope. Uh, like, how long do we have to wait? And and I know we we have all these circumstances we've talked about, but. And and everyone reaches this point at different times, depending on how their brain is calibrated. Some people have reached it years ago, like, okay, it's been way too long since a new Donkey Kong game. I'm checking out. Like, I, I can't do this anymore. But I think I just hit this point, feeling the, this fatigue just this year. And I definitely need to start speculating on if Swanky Kong will be showing up in the new Donkey Kong game sooner rather than later. <laughs> so I, I don't know. That's that's where I'm at. Um, maybe you can help talk me down. Well, you know, it's like there are you. You have kept this podcast going for 11 years. You've kept this community going uh, for much longer than that. There are there, like. If the whole DKU ended tomorrow, if if there was if there was never anything else, I know that there would still be years and years of stuff for us to dig into and talk about and speculate about. Um, and that's something that I sort of reassure myself with in in terms of like my my own non DKU fandoms, where I kind of wonder, I'm not so sure if this is always going to be for me. I'm not so sure if this is always going to keep getting new entries. I'm not so sure, you know, when you have those doubts. That okay, but here's the thing: even if it never happens, even if even if nothing ever ever resonated with me again, I have gotten decades. I've gotten um, all the. I, I'm so lucky to have all of these experiences. So that's part of it. Just focusing on what you do have instead of what you don't have. And at the same time, you know, I, I think that digging into the stuff that maybe you haven't given so mu- paid so much attention to. In the past, that can be a really helpful thing to do. Um, you know, speculating on things, replaying games from a new perspective. Because, um, you know, your perspective's always changing. But I would say that 
even ta- even taking all that aside, we've talked about it over and over again. There's too much smoke for there to be no fire. It's gonna happen sooner or later. And I know <laughs> that hearing that yet again might not do a whole lot to reassure you are the listeners of anything. I mean, it doesn't do a whole lot to reassure me, but I guess that's what I would say. Just you, you like focus on what we do have focus on, on the past experiences that we've had kind of do what we've done in this episode. And you know, when, when, when there's nothing else, when there's nothing new to talk about, there's always plenty of old stuff to talk about. Well, there we have it. So we just have to hold out a little bit longer, everyone. Don't worry. Don't worry. <laughs> don't worry. There's good things on the horizon. We just need to wait a little bit longer. Oh, I feel better. Thanks, Josh. <laughs> and in the meantime, we can talk about DK Jungle Climber. Well, later this year, we will have the spotlight episode for Donkey Kong Country Barrel Maze. And let me tell you, I have oh, plenty I want to say about Donkey Kong Country Barrel Maze, and I really hope that the people whose first Donkey Kong game was Donkey Kong Country Barrel Maze call into the Barrel Maze episode, because I can't wait to talk about Donkey Kong Country Barrel Maze. So is this going to be a four-parter, or do you think you can get like five or six out of it? This has been a File 2 production. Perico.